Digital Gonzo, episode 152, recorded Friday the 11th of October 2013, Ghostbusters 2. At the stroke of midnight, on New Year's Eve of the last decade of the 20th century, America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes... When the slime starts to rise... The Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload... We gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Look out! Look out! Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you gonna call? Suck in the guts, guys, with the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. No, no, no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. If we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the tenth level of hell. And kick some slime. Looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year. Bozum. Ghostbusters 2. You're short, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. Ghostbusters 2. You're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only... Ghostbusters! We're back! This week we're talking about the multiple attempts to follow up on one of the best sci-fi comedies of all time, and the mixed results that ensued. With me again are Matt Ramsey of Do Try This at Home. Hello! And Neil Taylor of Gameburst. Why am I drippings with goo? (laughs) (laughs) That is just natural part of growing up, Neil. <laughs> okay, okay, so we're going to tackle in in order, mostly giving focus to Ghostbusters two, but uh, we're going to start with the real Ghostbusters, then Ghostbusters two, Extreme Ghostbusters, then Ghostbusters the video game from two thousand nine, and we'll round off with some discussion about the possibilities for Ghostbusters three. <laughs>
Okay, so the real Ghostbusters uh, came out in 1986. Uh, it actually would have been prepared good and earlier uh, had they realised what a hit they had on their hands. It's just uh, when Ghostbusters came out, they, they weren't sure. I found this one out today. Um, you remember the thing about the filmation Ghostbusters and uh, oh, the, yeah. the, the rights debate on that? Uh, while they were making the film, the original uh 1984 Ghostbusters film, uh, they were still wondering what they were going to actually call it because uh, uh, there was already the rights debate. But then at the end, the crowd were all chanting Ghostbusters, 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 uh, because that's basically what they'd caught wind that these guys were called. And that sounded so uplifting, just hearing the New York crowd shouting that naturally. They're just like, you know what, let's just buy the rights. It doesn't matter. And they did. And that's how Ghostbusters came to be absolutely locked into that name. And then, as I said last week, uh, the uh, (laughs) Filmation jumped onto the uh, license and started to try and rehash the the old Ghostbusters from the uh, 70s live-action TV series into a cartoon series with uh, fairly non-beloved, completely forgotten results. And uh, but the real Ghostbusters, so-called because they were attached to the real Ghostbusters, also came out in 1986. So I'd have been six years old. And I remember getting the actual action figures uh, when I was seven because this was just a sudden thing. I think it took uh, back in the day things took a lot longer to get to England. A lot, lot longer. Yeah, <laughs> a lot longer. But uh, I was well into Ghostbusters. Like I said uh, last week, the uh, the first um, uh, film was was the first ever visit to the cinema for me, and so I latched onto the real Ghostbusters as soon as I can. I was always mystified by the name, the real Ghostbusters. I thought that that was up against the movie Ghostbusters, like the cartoon was real, but the movie wasn't. Because of course, no one no one in England had actually heard of this filmation one, which we will now stop talking about. <laughs> Because, quite frankly, you've never heard of it, you've never seen it, and you don't want to. Um, So, yeah, the 1986 The Real Ghostbusters, uh, in in the style of the average cartoon back in the day, and still today, it had like a 13-episode first series, followed by like 70 episodes for the second series. That's the same as uh, Transformers did that. It's a massive amount of episodes for a cartoon, especially yeah. at that time. You're talking 147 episodes. Yeah, because there was a third series as well. Can I just say, I'd like to say, damn you Americans, because you have one of the best box sets I've mm. ever seen, which is for the real Ghostbusters. Is that the it's same in, the fire station? It's in the firehouse, yes. Ooh. It's gorgeous. And all we can get over here is season one. Yeah. <laughs> which I own. Yeah. I mean, you could just spring for the American version. It just would cost you about $90 in postage. It's about 100 quid, yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I mean, the cartoon, watching the car- it now as an adult, what do you think? The cartoon is a little bit hit and miss in places. There's some, the best way I can put it is really cartoony episodes that come off as being, oh, this is a cartoon. Yet they do some really good story-driven episodes mm-hmm. as well. There's uh, some good ones. I think it's Adventures in Slime and Space where the guys get... Um, they, they get this weird sort of ectoplasm on them that slowly starts growing all over their bodies and mm-hmm. that's quite a tense one there's a great one uh, I think it's called The Ballad of Casey Jones mm-hmm. or something like that it's, it, it's basically it's a, a ghost train story mm-hmm. I freaking love that one there's one where um, Ecto-1 gets possessed there's another episode where the Ghostbusters have to deal with going out of business because they've busted all the ghosts and become crime busters 
it's a little silly, but it's it's still fun. Do they shoot criminals in the face with particle beams? They sort of rejigger the particle beams, yes. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. It, it, it's, it's, uh, there is uh, some hit and miss episodes, but there's also, some, like I said, some cracking ones. Well, one of my personal favourites is the Murray the Mantis episode. Yeah, it's one of the early ones. Did you say that was the one where Mr. Staper fights the Mantis? Yes, that's where they actually go and get the big guy. Nice. Uh, there's a couple of episodes where we actually go inside the Ecto containment unit and see what the inside of that's like, which I, I really enjoyed. There's a, yeah, it was like a giant sort of nebulous floating dimension where there's just enough room to keep all the ghosts. Didn't um, didn't the Ecto containment unit actually get full and they had to dispose of them somewhere else? I think that well, did happen in one of them. I, it's yeah. been a while since I've seen a lot of the later seasons, unfortunately. Oh, slight correction. It was 78 episodes in season two, but it was 13 in season one. And then, got it right. Actually, season one actually includes syndication. Basically, it, it was 13, then it was syndicated. Then it got to 78. Then it was season two, which got, got to 91. Then season three, it changed to Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. And they made it much more kiddie-oriented and turned it in, them into hour-long episodes, half of which were taken up by little kind of like Slimer vignettes. It's kind of funny as well because there's a this is the weird crossover, which we might want to briefly mention, is the fact that Lorenzo Music also did did the voice of one Peter Vakeman. Yeah, also Garfield. Also Garfield. Garfield, who was later voiced by Bill Murray. In a weird way. It's like Bill Murray's the, uh, the theatrical version of Lorenzo Music. The only downside was Bill Murray complained about Lorenzo music. Yeah, because he said he sounded like too much like Garfield. Well, look fired. who's talking, Bill. And got him <laughs> fired. Got him fired. Yeah. And then the other guy who came on... I hated sounded, him. I did, didn't like him. Uh, he said, I sound like Peter Vakeman. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I've forgotten his name, and I apologise for David that. David Clear. That's the one. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I think I, even as a kid, I was very sharp and wise to sudden voice changes. I remember when they changed uh, Raph's voice in Turtles, mm. uh, and uh, that, that usually tended to me to, to signal that the uh, series was going down somehow. Yeah. Turtles has got a lot of episodes as well yeah. that probably some of us don't even remember. Uh, another one I want to point out voice-wise, Frank Welker, anybody? Of course. Slimer, Megatron. as well as Ray, as well as Megatron, as well as Nibbler, as well as Uni. <laughs> but I, I still I still have a real soft spot for the real Ghostbusters and quite frankly a lot of the toys that we all played with growing up as kids were actually real Ghostbuster toys more yeah. than um, actual Ghostbusters in fact I think I don't, it's probably quite expensive to get now they did uh, a graphic novel of Ghostbusters 2 yeah but it was the real Ghostbusters 2 yeah so yeah so, it. yeah. so it's quite cool which included many of the deleted scenes we're going to talk about in the uh, main movie um uh, yeah, it ended up being six seasons, lasting all the way through to 1991, uh, to then be revived in 1997 as Extreme Ghostbusters, but we'll talk about that after Ghostbusters 2. Uh, like I said, there's some good writing in some episodes, it's quite memorable. The things that I remember the most about it, J. Michael Straczynski was one of the writers. Yep. And uh, there was the music. It sort of veered back and forth between sort of this sort of disco rock but then there's some really disconcerting, sort of creepy bits of music, which seem to stem from Elmer Bernstein's score in the original.
for the time. I mean, maybe it's just me looking back with those rose tinted glasses. It was very different to some of the cartoons that you got. So yeah. it was quite a, a very enjoyable. But it came out at a key time when Transformers, Thundercats, G.I. Joe, the, you know, Turtles, E-Man. shortly afterwards, He-Man. Uh, and so it was just, it was part of the makeup of a lot of 30-somethings' childhoods. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I recommend <coughs> if you, if you have rosy tinted memories of it, get hold of season one, uh, which is available right now for, uh, yeah, you can get it for about £5.50. Worth it. Absolutely yeah. worth it. Totally. For 13 episodes, absolutely get it. Uh, Ernie Hudson was the only one of the original Ghostbusters to actually go back and try to, uh, get a role, uh, in the real Ghostbusters when they were at the casting stage. And he lost it to Arsenio Hall. Let's just go over that again because it sounds a little baffling. One of the actual Ghostbusters didn't get the job as the Ghostbuster he played. To be fair, he might have been a little bit expensive as well. Maybe, but he could have at least challenged Arsenio's price. <laughs> Jesus, though, poor Ernie Hudson. He is the most sidelined Ghostbuster of all time. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And bear in mind at that point, Arsenio Hall was hardly... Uh small fry was he he must have been at a fairly uh, fairly high cost himself probably more so than uh, Ernie Hudson to be honest yeah well, probably it's just a cost thing because he was in the, in the 80s he was Arsenio Hall I mean he was huge back then I don't know if he had his stand up sorry his, his like talk show at that point uh, I remember it was actually not at that point I think no. it was in Ghost ironically <laughs> uh, yeah Whoopi Goldberg's watching it I don't like it me either I always look terrible on TV no that's not what I mean it shouldn't have been that hard a job. But we had to fight like crazy to get those things contained. Right, Egon? Mm-hmm. It seems like the closer we get to Halloween, the more cases we get, each tougher than the last. Interesting, huh, Egon? Mm-hmm. Shh. Egon's working. We wouldn't want to bother him now, would we? Egon, old buddy! Ah! Hey, what do you want to do tonight? Nothing. No, no, you did nothing last night. You got to take these things slowly. Too much nothing in one week. Can you stand the excitement? Plan B? <laughs> Plan B. <whistles> now stand me still, okay? Egon, either you tell me what you're working on, or I'll tell Slimer you got a cupcake in your socks. You wouldn't dare. Why, Egon, what's that in your socks? If I didn't know better, I'd swear it looked just like a... Okay, okay, I'll talk. I was just working out the last details. Who says blackmail's a lost art? PKE readings have been increasing all month across the city. But they took a real jump when some ancient ruins from Ireland arrived two weeks ago. The ruins date from the 7th century. 7th century Ireland. That's where Halloween started. I didn't even know Halloween was that old. Sure. It marked the transition to a time when the nights got longer. Scarier. The Irish and Scottish immigrants brought it to America, where we called it Halloween. That's utterly fascinating, Egon. But what's the point? Those relics brought here from Ireland go back to when Halloween started. What if Halloween is based on something that really happened long ago? I keep wondering if those ruins and Halloween itself is the reason why everything has been going wrong lately. Maybe we ought to check those ruins out. Keep them under lock and key until Halloween's over. You're kidding, right? What can some relics 1,200 years old do to us now? Beat it, bud. 
Looking for a lollipop? Choosing the form of the destructor. Uh, I put this on both Twitter and the forum today. Quick Ghostbusters test. Choose the form of your destructor. This relates to last week's Ghostbusters episode in which I asked you guys to try not to choose the form of your destructor. You had to try to empty your minds and then post the first thing you thought of. And we got quite a huge response on this one. Don Ragnar. Sigh. Boobs. <laughs> John Cranston. I'm so sorry, everyone. And it's that Fisher-Price telephone. You know the one on oh wheels? Oh, God, yes. Toy Story 3. Will Templeton, the master hand from Super Smash Brothers, Headless Sky, Alex Shaw. I couldn't empty my mind. I thought of you. Uh, Andy Rodriguez, a taco. I'm not even hungry right now. Ferret approved. Graham Chapman as King Arthur. (laughs) Evan Fowler, a giant squid. Not Cthulhu, though, but a giant squid plopping into the center of Manhattan. I'm assuming that was the Watchmen one. Richard Sawyer, damn my coffee mug, because his coffee mug has spider pig on it from the Simpsons movie. Van Blackburn, Darth Vader, followed by Cinnamon Toast Crunch. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Hisako, Pez Dispensers. Argelis Perez, Powdered Toast Man. Paul Gibson, Pretzels. (laughs) He immediately just thought, ooh, I have pretzels. Oh, no! Matthew Thomas, Mickey Mouse. El Linkso Defecto, a Lilo. Mike Hearn, I would probably have chosen a silly 80s toy by accident. My town will be leveled by Optimus Prime. That, <laughs> that actually seems oddly feasible. Matthew, Matt Wetter, Pigeons. <laughs> Neil Taylor, The Rock. Can I explain that one? You said don't ask. So yeah, okay, go for it. Although, so- and, hang on, Andrew Pidge Hedgeski, Haribo. Mm. And Lee Scoville, John Wayne. So, when you kind of tweeted that, I was playing music, and I know what it was like, the moment that you said, don't empty your mind, one of the old rocks entrance music hits hit me, and I just had visions of the giant rock suddenly appearing in downtown LA to the, if you smell! It's like, oh god. What the rock is cooking! Oh. Many shubs and zools knew what it felt like to be roasted in the depths of the rock that day, I can tell you. Right, so, uh, that was the form of the Destructor, and uh, continue to tweet uh, your forms of the Destructor uh, after hearing this podcast. Right. Ghostbusters 2, the rocky road to a sequel nobody wanted. <laughs> Apart from... Oh, Apart from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, from the from the sounds of it, doing my reading, there was a lot of pressure uh, from Columbia on Ivan Reitman, the director of Ghostbusters, and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, the writers of Ghostbusters, f- to make a sequel. Uh, partly because of the extreme toy sales and uh, popularity of the cartoon, um, and and partly just because everyone just loved the original movie so much. So it was it was kind of like they were strong armed into making a new uh, uh, film, and the script went through many many revisions. And it ended up, arguably, uh, being condemned by critics as a retread of the original. As in, it's almost like it was tweaked multiple times to fit closer to the template of the original. The sequel had what was, at the time, the biggest three-day opening weekend gross in history. A record that was broken one week later by... 
Hmm, what year was it? 1989. Oh, come on. Would it be Jedi? No, Summer of 89. Summer of 89. We've already reviewed it for Gonzo. I'm going to feel like a Twitter. Oh, it's Batman. It's Batman. Oh. At one point, the crew were aiming for a July 4th release date. That would have been uh, uh, actually after Batman came out. Uh, But Ivan Reitman decided on June the 23rd. In the middle of production, the crew learned that Batman was slated to be released on the 23rd as well. Ivan Reitman asked the studio for a 16th release, much to the rest of the crew's dismay. Uh, Basically, that just means everyone's got to work much, much faster to get it out a week in advance. Uh, Michael Gross recalls editor Sheldon Kahn fainted. On paper, the 16th date looked impossible because it meant pushing back the already exhausted editing schedule and ILM's dates. Uh, When it was coming out in July... ILM had 110 effects uh, shots, then it became 130, and finally it numbered 180 around the time that the date moved up to June 16th. It became very important for ILM to stay on top of things. They had nine units shooting every day for three to four weeks to get the original shots done. Eventually, ILM had to say that they couldn't do any more. This accounts for the fact that the film feels quite rushed and at times patchily edited. On an initial budget of $37 million, Ghostbusters 2 eventually grossed $112.4 million in North America and $102.9 million internationally, for a total of $215.3 million worldwide. However, the film performed below Columbia's expectations, especially in the wake of Batman's higher earnings. Let's just check how much Batman cost. Again, it's exactly the same as the shit that, that people pulled around the Dark Knight times. Like, well, you didn't make Dark Knight money, so I'm calling this a flop. Batman, yes, this is, this is this is Square Enix levels of stupidity, isn't it? Yeah, well, they're, they're comparing it to the absolute market leader and saying, well, why didn't you make that? Batman, if you remember, uh, cost $48 million and made $411 million. So Ghostbusters making $215 million, nowhere near enough. <sighs> I mean, ultimately, Batman, it was the first ever film about the caped crusader done properly. So obviously everyone's freaking out to be able to see Batman properly at long, long last. Ghostbusters 2, despite the fact that it's a sequel and everyone seems to love sequels, this was back when sequels weren't actually all that common and weren't actually all that good. Um, it was like, it was around about the same year that uh, Back to the Future 2 came out. So it was before the idea of trilogies really started to set in. So it was a, a really unstable time. And they put clearly heaped huge amounts of expectations on this one. And ultimately, when the film was lukewarm, and people sort of came away going, eh, it was all right, a bit too scary for kids, a bit too dumb for adults. It just didn't get the kind of press and the kind of, like, everyone going back to see it again and again and again that Batman did. It's just same, a, a trilogy of Ghostbusters. I wonder it's, what that would have been like. It could still happen. And, it, it, you know, frankly, it will. There's going to be a Ghostbusters film at some point. If it... We'll, we'll talk about that during the Ghostbusters 3 section, but it's, it's an inev- it is inevitable. Before we start really getting into the nitty gritty of the film, did you, did this feel quite as New York-y as the first one to you guys? It, it did seem to be missing something. Maybe, maybe it was that New York vibe. Mm. That would be principally because only some of it was shot in New York. A great bulk of it was shot in Burbank, California. Okay, that seems yeah. odd. So a lot of it's in LA and it just, they, they, they got a lot of outside shots and establishing shots and sort of ones to set the scene, but it didn't have, when the, like those massive crowd scenes are turning up at the end in New York, 
it didn't have that same that energy to it. That energy to it. I don't know. It was still like everyone was really excited about it, but it's everyone who's seen Ghostbusters two will know what I mean in that sense that it doesn't quite feel like New York. And there was a slightly, and this is just a stylistic choice. There was a slightly pinky hue to the whole thing. Slightly mm. pink, slightly brown. It's 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 kind of it's very nineties. Whereas the uh, original Ghostbusters was kind of more sort of beigey, steely blue, nighttime vibrancy to it. And there's also there's that energy of this is new, this is something that's that's happening, as opposed to just retreading, which is what Ghostbusters tends to do. It's like, oh, we're down on a lot, it's not worked, it's not going to happen. Oh, suddenly we're back in business after one single court case. Yeah, but that is a hell yeah moment. It is is a hell yeah moment. I won't dispute that at all, and I love that bit. But it does seem extremely convenient that the Ghostbusters suddenly go from, like, people don't give a toss about the Ghostbusters to like within minutes, suddenly they're, they're useful to the city again. Mm, especially because they're pretty much shat on. Yeah. After the events of the first film, they're called cr- uh, crazy. They're left out in the uh, dirt. From the sounds of it, they weren't really paid for that massive, like saving the world. Let's face it. Yeah. Well, certainly saving the city. Yeah. Definitely saving the city, but yeah, it would have it would have spread everywhere else. But I mean, that's that, I guess that's an issue narratively speaking is that what were people doing about all these ghosts before the ghostbusters turned up and mm. what were they doing about in the interim period because clearly no one needed any ghost busting so mm. is is this uh, do they all come together at once or do they only turn up preceding a major event i don't know they never uh, never explained but uh, i just had uh, visions of everyone going oh i don't know what to do we could call the ghostbusters nah they're a bunch of losers we'll just have to put up with this poltergeist <laughs> a pretty pesky poltergeist there is one little speech in the original ghostbusters film where peter says i i believe we were destined to get thrown out of this dump uh, and that w- could suggest if you look at it that the ghosts hadn't really turned up in any kind of real mischief-causing uh, capacity until it was the run-up to Goza re-entering the world. And then, uh, by the same token, in Ghostbusters 2, they disappeared straight after the Goza incident and start coming back again once Vigo starts trying to push his way into mm. the world. So it always has to be precipitated by a big bad. That without yeah, that, that big bad, the Ghostbusters can't function, despite the real Ghostbusters alternate timeline wherein they can. It's a shame that this film was rushed because... It would have been interesting to see what the lore mm. of the Ghostbusters universe would yeah. have been. With like, like you said, the Ghostbusters have gone for a couple of years here, so no one was really doing anything. So, you know, what was going on? Why, why were there no ghosts? Kind of thing. Or like you said, it does, do the, does the rise in paranormal activity mean that there's some big bad on the way? Yeah. Should that be the giveaway that, you know, oh, you know, I'm seeing a lot more ghosts these days. What's, you don't think something bad's about to happen, do you? And, yeah. Also, everyone seemed to forget, really, quite quite handily, um, that that ghosts because ghosts. A lot of people had ghost problems, and they clearly existed. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it's like everyone just was like, "Ghosts? Don't be ridiculous. Ghosts aren't real." Yeah. What about that? What about the thing we fished out your attic? I have no memory of this event. Imagine the, if the world... you think the law would recognise the existence well, of ghosts after a building got blown up. <laughs> I'm thinking, how did everyone suddenly forget the 50-foot-tall marshmallow sailor man that yeah. took a stroll down New York? <laughs> Caught on camera, I would imagine. Imagine if the world really did find out irrefutable proof of ghosts tomorrow. It would change the nature of the human race because we would start to touch upon the answers 
to what the hell happens to us after we die, which is the core of mankind's fear of not knowing that. Mm. So suddenly, just five years later, everything's back to normal again. Like, no huge change to the human race. Fuck it, they were just a bunch of slimy greebelies. Doesn't matter. <laughs> no one actually tried talking to the ghosts. I suppose every time they did, they went, shh. <laughs> or they got slimed. Indeed. So, so yeah, it's also missing at least one scene, Pixar style, where Ray just sort of flops down and goes, face it guys, no one needs us anymore. And just the, that sense of defeat and the mm. idea of, you know, we really, we were only useful for that one time. It's a, it was, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and, I, and it was great. It was a great ride, but that's it for us. It, I mean, that's sort of there, but there is no one defining scene in the film. They just jump straight back into it way too quickly. It's like almost like they're being naughty and doing the paranormal investigations without any permission. Which they essentially are, given the, yeah. how they ended up in court. Anyway, so we'll, we'll, let's start on the actual very beginning and work our way through. We don't have to go into it in anywhere near as much detail as we did in the first one, because so much of it is retreading, and so much of it actually does have a lot less stylistic value or interest or uh, lovable memory attached to it um, than the first one. Um, it, if you can effectively look at the analogue in the uh, original film for each scene, so the, the baby snatcher opening is a substitute for the librarian at the beginning when she's going through. So rather than sort of you're alone and something terrible, you know, stalking you through a dark, empty basement, it's the very real fear that your baby could be just rolled away from you in traffic and just sort of running along in the pram and... On paper, that sounds terrifying. In execution, it's tedious to watch. I, I, I kind of like For it. It's a, it's a slightly different build-up, and it, it, it's still great how they, they, they use that scene to build into the music as well. Yeah. We saw that whine going off, and then then it kicks into the, yeah. to the theme. Actually, speaking of the music, the uh, music was by Randy Edelman this time. I, I hadn't realised until I watched it um, last week, this is the biggest difference between Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2 for me. Elmer Bernstein scoring the first one, utterly, utterly memorable and iconic. You play someone a bit of that music, they immediately go, Ghostbusters. someone to be a music from the black cauldron they go is it ghostbusters because <laughs> it sounds oddly similar let me play you some black cauldron right now Randy Edelman's music in Ghostbusters 2. Hum me a bit of the score. The only one that's... I mean, and bear in mind, I am one of these people that's terrible with scores. We all know this. I, uh-huh. I'm more, much more of a soundtrack guy. The only bit I can do is the theme, because that's Run DMC. That's the only bit that actually... Yeah, but that's not head. the score at all. That's the soundtrack. Oh, so, exactly. I mean, Matt, you're the, the, the video game music fan. Yeah. <laughs>
anything about Randy Edelman's score stand out to you? Not, not massively. No, I can't honestly say it did. But it was, it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't didn't clash. It yeah, worked I mean, perfectly it, well. But you're watching, it was, you're not going it was entirely oh, functional. Awesome. Yeah. It did exactly. It did exactly what a, a film score should do, which mm. is underscore the film. It should, you know, back up the film. But it doesn't. Doesn't. I, I can't think of anything that would work on its own like a truly great film score. But um, you know, the, the it's, it's as you say, it was a sequel back when sequels weren't big business. So it was perfunctory. It didn't achieve what um, that's the exact word I was thinking. Yeah, that's yeah. What I was looking for. Yeah, it didn't Perfect achieve word. what um, uh, what great film scores do, which is to not only grab you by your emotions but crystallize that moment, so that when you hear that music again, it brings you back to that moment. So, I mean, you could play some somebody music from uh, from this film if they hadn't seen Ghostbusters two for years. They'd be like, I, I don't know. Mm. That was a shame because Bernstein died in two thousand four, so that meant he was alive a long time after this film when this film was made. And uh, he may have been retired at that point, but it is a damn shame they didn't get Edelman to uh, really focus. Unless I'm wrong, hang on, Dragonheart, uh, Randy Edelman, right. Do you guys know the Dragonheart theme? No. Uh, vague memory of it. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's the one that goes... Forget, of course, his incredible work on Dragon the Bruce Lee story. soaring theme Edelman is capable of something truly inspiring and that was only what seven years after Ghostbusters 2 so yeah he, he had he had it in him he just didn't do it for this film anyway also you learned then a lot again, from this given, film <laughs> yeah. also you have to think, was he given time story, Randy work harder yeah you're yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right Neil the score is one of the last things uh, made and uh, often as it turned out with James Horner in Aliens when they're editing you have to change the score on the fly mm. so yeah, that would actually explain it actually let's, let's not heap too much on poor Randy because if he's listening he'll go I had like three fucking weeks you try being anything other than perfunctory <laughs> Also, in in uh, eighty nine, he wasn't actually that. He was he wasn't that old in eighty nine, so he was uh, probably um, not not hugely experienced as a you know, necessarily. Perhaps wasn't that experienced, so he's obviously got a lot better since then. So oh, I don't know. He was he's a kindergarten uh, cop for God's sake. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, he was like forty two years old. That's old enough. Born in nineteen forty seven. No, he would, would have been young. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Good lord. <laughs> Perfunctory, Randy. Do better next time. Fortunately, <laughs> he 
He did. Yes. But you're not coming back for Ghostbusters 3. Don't even think about it. I have to add this bit, which I forgot about while we were podcasting. When they're at the party at the beginning, and they say, the Ghostbusters are there and talking to the kids, trying to get them all hyped up, and they say, who are you going to call? And the kids will go, hey man, hey man. And the Ghostbusters think, oh, we're out of touch. Okay, in 1989, He-Man had run its course. He-Man started in 1983, and despite an epic run, the last actual episode of He-Man was released in late 1984. The last episode of She-Ra, the girl-oriented toy vehicle from Mattel, was in late 86. So in 89, He-Man was not cool at all. It was still a year off the new adventures of He-Man, which was hated by everyone. This is a wonderful macrocosm. For how out of touch with the kids, the writers of the Ghostbusters were writing themselves as the Ghostbusters. Meta! So Egon, Peter and Ray post-busting. They're where they would have been if they got kicked out of the college. You've got Vakeman doing really... the the, Being the fraud talk show host, Mm. you've got Egon still being the scientist, and you've got Ray... He's a bookshop owner. An occult bookshop owner, to be fair, but... What was Winston doing? Did we ever find what Winston was doing other than being like a Ghostbuster at kids' parties? Uh, handyman? I don't know. I don't think it ever, it never showed him doing anything else, but yeah, I, I can't get the thing he'd be either a, like a security guard or a, a construction laborer or something. It's like just an something. ex-cop now is a security yeah, guard. Yeah, but so, just something that, you know, just a, a, a regular blue collar job. Yeah. He's a regular blue collar job. He'd just be there making his money and, and basically only doing the entertaining thing to, to, keep Ray company really because you know Ray doesn't want to let it go but oh, it, it, Neil's right I mean they are exactly where where they'd be anyway and, and they've all become the people that you can imagine them being because Egon's just doing research doing exi- you know, he's just happy to go along with whatever as long as he can do science yeah. he doesn't really care what he's doing Peter's const- he's just a, basically a con man he's constantly shilling and he's just trying to make a buck by you know using the the talent he's got which is basically talking to people and and charming them really uh ish um but he's he's not really respected or liked by anyone because he's not the kind of person you can really respect or like that much he's not a very nice guy in the first film really and he 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 becomes even less of a a nice person in the second film yeah he's not a bad person but he's not very nice he's not he's not a likable guy you know he's he's a He's a bit of a con artist, so which is kind of clear because obviously by the time we roll around to the second film, Dana isn't with him. In fact, I think she's had a baby with someone else. Yeah, she it's married Peter's baby. Yeah. yeah, you know that kid who says, "My dad says you're full of crap." It's Ivan, it's Jason Reitman, is it? Jason Reitman. Anyone know what Jason Reitman's done with his life? Uh, thank you for smoking. Yep, thank you for smoking. He directed Juno. He directed some episodes of The Office. Oh, one episode. Uh, Frame Toby. He directed. Gen- uh, oh, he produced Jennifer's Body, and he directed Up in the Air, the uh, uh, George Clooney George Clooney uh, film. He's excellent. So yeah, he went from a snot-nosed little punk of a kid uh, <laughs> to being quite accomplished. So yeah. and I will say, thank you for smoking. Is one of the best ones in there. I love yeah. that film. I love it. There's one line in that where they say something along the lines of, uh, "You can't smoke in space." Uh, we can explain that away with a line of, uh, "Thank God they invented the blah blah blah." <laughs> Techno babble. Ah, someone was paying attention to Star Trek then. <laughs> like putting too much air in a balloon. Um, 
so yeah, P- uh, Peter's doing his uh, psychic show there. The guy who believed that the uh, world was going to end on New Year's Eve of that year, which I'm assuming relates to uh, the uh, return of uh, Vigo the Carpathian, also known as Vigo the Butch. Um, <laughs> you have been a bad, bad monkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, I think my personal favourite from that one is, is just a little one, but it's sucking the guts, guys, with the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, so the guy on the World of the Psychic thing is uh, Alan Abernathy's dad in Small Soldiers. Mm. You know? Kevin Dunn, I think it's Yeah, his. yeah. Who I've seen in loads and loads and loads of things, but can never remember what or what his name is. <laughs> He's one of those guys, I recognise him. Where do I recognise him from? And then you go to IMDb. Oh, that's where. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, Kurt Fuller as well. He's always in stuff, and he's usually playing someone slimy. I, you're absolutely right, Neil, about that they ended up exactly where they would have been had they just been kicked out of, uh, Weaver Hall. Was it Columbia they were actually at? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of depressing watching them, uh, but at the same time there's a sort of air of inevitability about it. The only other possibility, uh, being that they, um, went, they, they made it a franchise and then retired. Mm. Certainly Peter, he, he couldn't have busted for five years. He, he just doesn't have the energy for it. He doesn't have the, uh, the guts to just keep going. He doesn't have the, the passion. Whereas, uh, you know, I, I would imagine Ray would keep going as long as his health. The, the other three probably would have kept going. I think it's Peter that would probably have got bored or, yeah. or find something new. Or noted rather pointedly that it was just too dangerous. Mm. Cause it is dangerous. It's, it's, they're constant, especially when the big bads turn up, they're risking everything. Mm. Although saying that Peter would have stuck with them because uh, they're they're his friends, and it seems they're really the only people who, who can stand him. I think that's a fine point. I think he would stay with them as long as they were doing it, and there was and there was something to do. He would he would stay with them because for him that would be the path of least resistance. It's hard for me to separate Peter Vankman from Bill Murray. <laughs> I think that's a, lot of pro- a problem a lot of people have sometimes. Yeah. We had part of a slinky, but I straightened it. So they go and see Oscar, and that leads in some kind of weird, strangulated way to the uh, the slime underneath the uh, city of New York. And there is actually something really quite um, thrilling uh, in the same way as that the... Uh, the, the words cellar door are absolutely uh, laden with portent. The idea of discovering, you know, hidden secrets in an old subway, or indeed in this case, pneumatic system, immediately grabbed me and was fascinating way back in the day. I didn't see this film in the cinema. I really wanted to. I was like, Ghostbusters, nut. But my father said the cinema was too expensive. I did. I saw it in the pictures. (laughs) Can I say that is the first time you'll, and probably the only time, something pink can be terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hang on, you may want to rephrase that. <laughs> there are many on this planet who are terrified of pink things, and justifiably so. Well, if it's pink and cute, then uh, Josh is terrified. Indeed, but it can be pink and intimidating. But it's pink slime, something bright and colourful like that. But it's kind of bloody terrifying, especially when the hands start coming out. Yeah. Or if it's pink and enormous and rearing out of the bathtub towards you. That is just really freaking freaky, that is. That is not out of place in a horror movie, that uh, that scene later on. Especially with the unnecessary nudity. Or partial nudity, in this case. But that just sort of ramps up the vulnerability for Dana's character at that stage. I think that is kind of the point of that scene. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, there's the the river of slime, and it all sort of relates to the fact that New York New Yorkers treat each other like shit. Now that wasn't really touched upon in the original Ghostbusters. It was a love letter to New York. We uh, the, the Winston's um, cry at the end of the film. I love this town. It was just about making New Yorkers feel good about themselves. This one was the one where they're like, actually, New Yorkers treat each other like shit, and we can't. The mayor even says, "I can't tell everyone to be nice to each other." Which kind of like is is the uh, the debate we're uh, engaged in now about we can't ask the internet to be nice to each other. Yeah, I think that is actually. Now you point out, it's almost like the, like you said, the first one's a love letter, yeah, and the second one almost plays on stereotypes of New Yorkers, yeah. But at the same time, they wanted to be uh, respectful of New Yorkers and uh, respectful of the Statue of Liberty. Hence, she is seen as a symbol of hope and faith and uh, everything Something pure. Humanity. Something pure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's the, there's the River of Slime, which is, is, is pretty damn effective, despite the fact that it's a single set. And um, the, the slime is all over the place in this film. It is inconsistent in its consistency. Uh, and it likes to dance. It does, it does, it like to dance. I was, I'm sure at one point when they climb out of the sewer and they're drippings with goo, uh, <laughs> that looked like they'd got 78 pots of the kids, the ectoplasm off the shelf and just chucked it all over. <laughs> it's, it's purple and it hangs off them in that awful way. I, I mentioned this to Shannon when we were in Toys R Us the other day. We will never get to handle ectoplasm again. Not in the exact same consistency. I, I feel sad by that. Yeah, because it's all dried up now. You can buy the old figures, you can watch the old cartoons, but you can never have ectoplasm again. You can get different slimes. And folks out there, if you if you found a slime that's exactly the same as ectoplasm, tell us, please. Yeah, forums that. <laughs> I want to know. Forums that, and I want a link. Because I now have this somewhat perverse desire to handle ectoplasm. <laughs> I'm walking away, not touching that with a ten-foot barge pole. That's a healthy response. Um, so anyway, yeah, they, they they go to court and they have the uh, Scolari brothers' uh, best line being, um, uh, anyway, a couple of years ago I turned into a dog and they helped me. <laughs> and then I think he says something. Great job, Lewis. Great job, Lewis. Pointless. <laughs> We're back. Yeah. It, it does have... Uh, little flashes in the script, not nowhere near as many as in the first one. It's nowhere near as quotable. But the script is not a dog when you when you listen to it. It's still sprightly, and the characters are consistent with their original versions. You, uh, apart from Janine, um, th- there's never any point where you go, Ray wouldn't say that, Peter wouldn't say that. I think uh, Winston's been hanging around with the other Ghostbusters enough that he's gone a bit, a little bit wackier himself and a bit less um, uh, grounded in reality than he was in the first one. But that's what five years of hanging out with Ray and Egon will do for you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think it's pretty much, I think the characters that get the, the biggest change are probably Janine and Slimer of yeah. all people. Uh, you don't have a lot of Slimer in this, but when he's in there, he is much more like the Slimer of the real Ghostbusters than, say, the Slimer of Ghostbusters 1. Yeah. Actually, I have a whole bit on Slimer I'm going to mention now because there was a big amount of chunks cut out of this film. Th- this is one of them. Um, Slimer wasn't always a definite part of the movie script. It was a matter of considerable debate if he should appear at all. Slimer's appeal, luckily, was very universal among children, thanks in part to the first movie and the real Ghostbusters. Slimer was given a subplot and written into the movie. Slimer would eat various foods in the firehouse while Lewis Tully would try to trap him, and they would become friends. Michael Gross, that would be our producer, requested elements of the animated version of Slimer to be incorporated into the movie. 
So well, that would have been awesome if Frank Welker had been able to voice him. But he didn't. Tim Lawrence and Tom Enriquez worked on a new design. Uh, meanwhile, Bobby Porter was called in to portray Slimer. Some of the technology and techniques used for uh, Nunzio Scaleri, that's one of the Scaleri brothers, was uh, used for Slimer. The divided head construct, pneumatic jaws, the snark, I don't know what that is, and the fat suit. Departure from the first movie where he had been was hand puppeteered. And then Slimer was removed from the script and Porter was released. Two weeks later, Slimer was back in the script and had a bigger role. However, Porter was no longer... This is what I mean about the fact that it had a rocky, um, patchy way through. They kept changing their minds about everything. The Scaleri brothers in the in the um, uh, courthouse were changed and changed and changed and changed and changed. And if you watch them in the film, it doesn't matter what they look like. They're hardly in it. They're just there to look like big, greebly ghosts. Um, yeah, so two weeks later, Slam was back in the script and had a bigger role. However, Porter was no longer available. Effects coordinator Ned Gorman remembered working with Robert Navlet on Willow, and she was brought in. Surprisingly, she was the same height as Porter and could fit into the suit very well. Chris Goey and his mold shop crew made a full life cast of her, and Al Coulter worked on a new skull cap. The Slimer shoot was finished close to the first day of shooting. Michael Gross was on hand to push the crew to keep Slimer subtle... Keep Slimer subtle and reduce <laughs> any complicated approaches to moving him. Slimer's segments were deemed intrusive by preview audiences. And during editing, Ivan Reitman decided to limit Slimer's role, even though all scripted scenes were filmed and completed. Ultimately, Slimer's scenes were trimmed to two brief shots, one during the end titles. So basically, Slimer was in this movie totally, and Lewis had a much expanded role, and all of that was cut out. <sighs> Not that it would have made it better. No, and it's, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, Lewis is is funny, but I I wouldn't want to see... The amount he's in Ghostbusters 2 is pretty much perfect. Yeah. He's yeah. there, he's, he's, just, he's just there as a, an extra little bit of, a, of, of comedy. All through, he's just dotted throughout it nicely. He, and any more of him, and I would probably get annoyed by him, to be honest. Yeah. Because he's not... But he's not as bumbling as he used to be. But he's still not—he's still nothing but bumbling. He's—he's he's not quite as comically funny and useless as he used to be. Um, but he's not—he's not really grown as a person. He's just kind of too much of him would have been a bad thing. I think. As well. I would really like to see uh, a version with this uh, reinstated. But if they only released that one on Blu-ray and not the uh, the original theatrical one, I would be pissed. Really, it's an extra. You, you, you find it's not George Lucas. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think I am okay because um, there's no Blu-ray of this. Which At least really with Star Wars, you know there's going to be one. There's bound to be. There will be bound to be one. There's an HD print of it. I bought it on iTunes. But yeah, it's, it's been a, they could chuck this onto a Blu-ray disc easily, but obviously the distribution costs more. There was talk of doing this around about the time when the Ghostbusters game came out, but the Ghostbusters 2 Blu-ray never emerged. And I think it won't actually until Ghostbusters 3 surfaces. If it surfaces. When, when it surfaces. Think, think on an infinite radial plane of time. It's gonna happen. If, even if it's a Ghostbusters remake. It, there will be a, another Ghostbusters film. Do not say words like Ghostbusters and remake in the same sentence. How could that be such a bad thing? Robocop. Star Trek. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Friday the 13th. Total Hang on a second. Let Total Recall. You do one, I do one. <laughs> We've got more than you. <laughs> no, okay, right. Uh, Ocean's 11. That led to Ocean's 12. The Bourne Identity. 
Did that have a previous? Mm, yeah, it did. There was a, that uh, was t- a remake. That was that was a, a different version of the book. That wasn't a remake of the first film. Now you're just splitting hair. It doesn't count. It's completely different to the first film. It's not a remake of the film. It's another film of the book. Okay. Totally different thing. Can we at least agree that there <laughs> have been some good remakes, though? Yes, I I can give you that. Yes. Okay. No, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be at all upset to hear of a, a remake of Ghostbusters, largely because if it's shit, Ghostbusters hasn't stopped existing. So you know, yeah. mm-hmm. there you go. Although I'm wondering, would Ghostbusters fans be as bitter and resistant as Star Trek fans? Yes, almost certainly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. If, if we wouldn't, but if this a lot dies of- with Dan Aykroyd, that's the greatest tragedy. There was also other sections that were cut out of the film while we're on this subject. Um, uh, Ray Ray was going to get possessed by Vigo uh, much earlier in the film. He stands looking, g- gawping at him in the uh, uh, final cut of it, but um, apparently he was going to get possessed while driving the Ecto-1A and try to crash the car, and that actually made its way into the uh, comic version of it, the adaptation. It was supposed to make the uh, eventual possession and big puffy-headed Ray uh, less of a suddenly out-of-nowhere moment. Yeah. Because it only, I mean, in the cut of the film is the way it is. It's sort of hinted at, but doesn't really happen until yeah. the final few seconds. No, I, Ray, I'm Vigo. Also, uh, Eugene Levy was in this film. He's, uh, he, uh, he works at the uh, lunatic asylum where the Ghostbusters are committed, and he happens to be uh, Louis Tully's cousin, I believe, or possibly his brother. He helps them get out of the lunatic asylum. If you watch the scene where they get out, um, there's no real explanation as to why they're being called. They always just assume that the mayor had just gone, oh, actually, yeah, just get them out of there. But uh, they cut all the scenes that are relevant to how it happened. I would have liked to have seen that. So would I. Mm. Um, also, at one point, uh, Janosch Poha was not the one who was going to kidnap Oscar. A two-headed dragon, creatures from a hellish world, a phantom taxicab, a giant pigeon, a face on the moon, a vapour rising from the street, billboard figures... Gargoyles Come to Life and a Horrible Santa Claus were all pitched. Uh, the taxi sounds interesting, at least. I say again, they had no idea what they wanted. <laughs> no, and I think sort of the demonic things are very, very close to sort of what happens in Ghostbusters 1 with the, the, the Hellhounds. Yeah. In fact, speaking of very, very similar to what happens in Ghostbusters 1, when the Ghostbusters are um, dragged to meet the mayor, it plays the Bobby Brown song of On Our Own. And then... Um, when they are released from the lunatic asylum, it, it reprises it and goes on again, exactly like it did with Saving the Day in the original Ghostbusters when they're dragged to meet the mayor, and then they get away from the mayor, and it's finally time to kick some ass.
There's just, there's just many things that uh, happened in the editing phase to shape it into something that rhymed with Ghostbusters. Mm. Not necessarily uh, to its detriment, but maybe not necessarily to its benefit either. Again, quite a common thing with sequels. Yeah, especially in those days. They didn't. Yeah. So here's the thing: a really good sequel must expand on the original theorem. So, uh, Aliens, for example, Godfather Two. You need to go deeper. You need to go further. And as you said, yeah, talking about the actual the physicality of the spiritual plane and all of that stuff that uh, Dan Aykroyd's fascinated by didn't make it into this film. That's a shame. It's actually a real shame because, like I said, expanding the law would have been very interesting to see. That's what I'd be looking for for Ghostbusters 3 because Ackroyd's been talking about um, new students exploring various different dimensions where the ghosts could be uh, occupying that space. Which is kind of, but not entirely, what they tried with Extreme Ghostbusters. Indeed. And uh, to a degree, the Ghostbusters video game. It's it's always been there in the works for a follow-up, just... This one, they, they, they trammeled the film into something that could be as, uh, I suppose, as, as easy as possible. That was as easy as possible for the public to absorb, mm. to chew on. And then they were surprised when it didn't make uh, $400 million and only made $215 million. A mere 215 yeah. million. Because you give the public something absolutely easy to nosh on, you'd imagine that uh, the same would apply to Transformers. But no, apparently, the Transformers movie is made as easy as possible for the public to eat, and they jump them down. Despite the fact you will barely find anyone that likes Transformers freaking too. It bothers me so much that I keep, you know, we keep coming to the conclusion that, you know what, you've got to challenge people and you've got to actually do something that's actually worthwhile. Oh no, there are the Transformers films ruining this rule. I think I think we're getting stupider. Yeah, I think no, we're no, 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 no. We're getting smarter because Inception would never have been accepted oh, no. like it was. We are those <laughs> the important ones, the the good, the the truly good amongst. That is the as a rule, humanity is getting stupider. I think <laughs> a person is smart, people are dumb, stupid, panicky animals, and you know it. Men in black. Which oh, just similarly make- shares a, a kind of spiritual feel to Ghostbusters, same as Hellboy. Mm. Mm. So the mood slime sensibilities, you've got that sort of fun little toaster thing there. and Your love. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I love that scene. It's so freaking hilarious. It is great with the little toaster thing. And the, the bit at the end where Bill Murray um, sort of Sticks. messes around with it and then goes, you fell for the old uh, possessed toaster routine. And then sort of toaster trick. <laughs> and then they, they dogpile him and that just seems like a, such a lovely sort of organic thing to happen as opposed to, it doesn't seem like it was scripted for that to happen. Uh, that's one of the most touching bits of the film because it seems like they're really friends in real life there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the mood slime was originally going to be green, but they changed it to pinky red, which kind of works with the fact that it's sort of uh, residual anger. I like that though, because it, it makes it different to the slime that you sort of saw in Ghostbusters 1, which yeah. was mostly clear, or sometimes I think it was a bit green. Yeah. But, um, at least with this, it's very clear that it's different to what we'd seen before. It's something new. Yeah. Which works. And, yeah, it's like color coding it. I think Stan Lee has gone on record as saying, I should have made the Hulk red in, in retrospect. Red is the color of anger. He sort of did. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of why, uh, Red Hulk came about. And they were like, that's a good idea. So Vigo the Carpathian. He is Vigo! He is Vigo! <laughs> you are yes, like flies to him! <laughs> I always, yes, I got the uh, scourge of Carpathia, I, I knew this. Um, <laughs> quite impressive these days how uh, threatening that picture is. It, c- it could have ended up ridiculous. Apparently the original versions of it were quite Conan. 
<laughs> so I'm imagining like just a barbarian standing there, but it's just a, the subtlety with which they uh, handled the face. And it always looks like it's sort of glowering malevolently. And they, they changed it ever so slightly every now and then. There's one point where it leers at Dana. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. Although it obviously lacks a certain dynamism being your basic painting. Uh, it's it's a, a very, uh, yeah, it's very creepy. Yes. Yeah. There's a, a real menace to the, to the face. It was a very well done, um, painting it really got across the fact that he was an evil bastard mm. and as with the library it preys upon people's past actual experiences where you've been in a room on your own with a creepy ass painting and you've looked at it and wherever you walk it's following you around the room you're like i gotta get out of this room now yeah it's kind of good how that just play on the creepiness that you, you feel towards some paintings sometimes i do like that because it is quite a it can be quite unnerving and unsettling so it was quite clever do you guys recognize his voice by the way Max von yes. Sydow. Well done. Yeah. The, 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 he had to be revoiced. <laughs> Jules <Jordan> Barris. <laughs> <laughs> if the guy, the, the big bad in Ghostbusters three doesn't have to be revoiced, I'll be very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> They'll probably get Benedict Cumberbatch. That's what he does these days. Uh, so yeah, Vigo the Carpathian. I, I'd say actually quite a, a decent, memorable enough villain. Not not Goza. You never really. You, here's the thing with Vigo. You never really feel like he's going to take over the world. Where he talks about, you know, the world will. I can't remember what he even says. The world will be spat up and chewed out, and what was will will be no more, and what world will, will be as not will now be. And it, you just begin to wonder whether this guy that Peter keeps taking the piss out of really has it in him to to really wreak that kind of havoc on the world. Well, the, the way I saw it, Vigo at the back when he was originally alive was a very powerful mm. man and a very, um, very skilled warrior. Yeah. So he basically uh, committed his evil by basically being bigger and stronger than everybody else. Yeah. I kind of got the feeling that even if he did come back, be a bit of a culture he, shock. Well, he just he'd go out into New York and he'd, he'd try and rally up his armies. And the New Yorkers go, "Yeah, fuck you!" <laughs> shoot him between the eyes. He'd be riddled with bullets and die. So they'd probably done less damage if they just let him let him come back. Apart from, of course, the poor old Oscar. Okay, but I think the line you were feeling that that's what he was he was planning was just to come back and do things the way he used to do them, which may not have worked too well in, in New York in the eighties. I think the line you were looking for. On a mountain of skulls in a castle of pain, I sat on a throne of blood. What was, what was will be, what is will be no more. Now is the season of evil. Find me a child that I may live again. Very good. (laughs) I just was waiting for someone to go, a child? A child? child. Uh, yeah, Janos, uh, basically sort of filling in for um, Lewis for being the sort of creepy guy who won't leave Dana alone. Uh, I noticed while watching it in HD that uh, the first time he says, well, you not uh, ever go on date with me. Do I have bad breath? She says, no, and walks away and goes, ugh. <laughs> Um, I love, every time I see, I cannot remember the actor's name, but every time I see him, he's really good. He is a great fan. Yeah, he's very good. He's yeah. a, was he in Ali McBeal? Yes. I think so, yeah. I never, I never watched it, but I believe he was from reading about him. Did you say Chris, Christopher McNichol? Peter McNichol. Peter McNichol, yeah. He was also in Dragons. He was the lead in Dragonslayer, I think it was. Oh. I, I, the most recent thing I think I've seen him in was Numbers. Yes. In which it was, in fact, really very good indeed. He was excellent in numbers. Yes, he was superb in that. Uh, I imagine that show was actually surprisingly good. 
He skirts the line between uh, funny and quite intimidating and scary at times. It was similar to Biff, actually, now that I think about it. Um, with the sudden, like after he sp- finishes talking to her during the blackout, and then walks down the corridor with his eyes glowing, I, I challenge anyone not to repress a shiver at that point. That was creepy. Yeah, that yeah. was yeah. I mean, the only, the only issue I've got with with Janosch is the well, not, not even an issue, but at times the accent is a little bit too much. Where he he keeps calling him Wenkman. No, <laughs> it's a bit German, European, you mean? German people. Well, People, you know, Germanic languages. When when you speak when you speak English, yes, you pronounce "will" as "vil" quite a bit, but you don't pronounce uh, a, a, a "v" as a, a "w." You would, pr- you would pronounce it "venkman." They just wouldn't You're have a of nuclear wessels. <laughs> nuclear wessels. Yes, it doesn't quite work that way. And it was just a little. Every so often, it was a little bit too hammy and over the top. But uh, it, yeah, I mean, he, he did a great. I mean, originally, the villain was just supposed to be just a, a henchman, mm. and uh, Peter, uh, Peter McNichol sort of said, "Well, why don't we do something different?" And came up with the, the idea of him being a Carpathian, which is why he know so much about Vigo and oh, right. uh, I didn't completely know totally changed the character from being just a, a bog standard henchman that abducted people and was muscle to being what, what he became which was fantastic you know, a brilliant, uh, brilliant change that, that made the movie much better than it, it could have been so I like the was, fact that at the end he isn't punished as well he's you know he's sprayed with slime and, and that's all and then yeah, he comes away he, going, I love you too. But he's sort of an unwilling henchman. He is sort of possessed. So it's yeah. not like he was doing it of his own free will. And it just, the, why is there a man dripping with goo? Although he was kind of happy to basically abduct a baby and then live with the mother as, uh, uh again, he's he's facing a, is so, it best to, uh, uh, be in front of the devil, in, his, in the devil's path or by his side. And he's kind of like, you know, definitely at that point uh, confronted with the awesome power of Vigo the Butch decides on the by his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, no, I mean, it's, apparently he's only he... partially possessed as well. There's a lot of his personality still there. Yeah. But uh, he, um, originally, you say, he was a, a lackluster villain uh, mm. called Jason was originally his name. And um, he, he said, let's make it come from Carpathia and spent quite a bit of time creating an origin, and ac- coming up with the accent and uh, mythology for Carpathia and even a flag which featured a snake stepping on a man, apparently. Oh, nice. So he did a, a lot of work to that character, which I think paid off in spades because although the, the, <laughs> the accent is perhaps overly hammy at times, it is one of the best things in the film. Couple of things. Clearly, Vigo is based in some part on uh, uh, Vlad Tipis, uh, also Vlad known as Dracula, um, whose uh, castle, famously in Transylvania, now Romania, was located in the Carpathian Mountains. Um, but also, the RMS Carpathia was a steamship notable for its role in the rescue of survivors from the sinking of the RMS Titanic. Titanic. Oh, so. Interesting double link there. Um, the point where the Titanic actually appears um, really <laughs> affected me. Even before I... Um, we're going to do a gonzo on Titanic. I feel an odd rough rustle in my soul thinking about and looking at the Titanic. The whole, obviously, this is before even the, 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 the movie of Titanic came out. Um, was it before they'd actually found it as well? No, that was Raise the Titanic, uh, the one by Lord, uh, produced by Lord Lou Grade in like 1979. Which um, I have seen. 
which is rubbish. Oh, um, yeah. One of the biggest <laughs> flops of all time. But I have seen it. But they actually raised the Titanic. It's in one big portion because they hadn't at that point found it and found that it was in two parts. Yeah, because even in this, it's still in one. The reason they decided to make it just one uh, is because they wanted people to know it was the Titanic straight away and not ask why is it in two bits. If Titanic, the film, had already been released, they'd probably have stuck it out in two parts so that people wouldn't go, hang on. Uh, Although that scene does have the oddest cameo, I think. Cheech Marin, <laughs> who gets to say the the line that was originally meant for um, Vakeman, and it is a very Vakeman line, where he turns to the guy and goes, well, better late than never. But it's really eerie watching the people sort of walk out in period dress, especially having actually now seen you know, Titanic, and it's like, mm. and obviously the, the, the hole in the side is massive, as opposed to the um, dit, 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 dits along the side that it actually received. But uh, yeah, that's uh, like just a, uh, just a few seconds of the film and is as effective for me as, say, the library ghost in the first film. It goes to show what some time and creativity can give you when you're dealing with that sort of thing, being yeah. able to make something like that. And it's a fantastic scene. It's a wonderful effect shot as well. It's, yeah. It's possibly my second favourite one in the entire film, the first being the, the shot of Ray dangling above the River of Slime. Yeah. And again, though, it was the uh, the shot that was at the very end of a long chain of well, what do we want at this point? It was going to be like a, a graveyard with rock, with this sounds awful with the gravestone start shooting up into the sky like rockets, or or it was going to be the uh, 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 a ghost train with rotting commuters, which ended which up we did up, yeah ran so through uh, uh, Winston and ended Winston. up that bit's really fucking oh yeah. I look at it, my God, I, I feel like Winston looks in that scene, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Again, that's, uh, uh, um, it, it doesn't quite have the same uh, massaging you with comedy feel of uh, the all the really scary bits in the original Ghostbusters. They don't manage, they, they leave you feeling more uneasy with that than uh, they do uh, with the bits in Ghostbusters that immediately come in with some funny music uh, or some, you know, great comedy lines. Also, they torture the guys with severed heads at that point as well. Yeah. They, it's just a bit much. <laughs> it, it's just like... Um, that, that proved fascinating to Lara. She was scared out of her wits, but at the same time, she couldn't look away. Uh, and the bit in the dark room as well, it always bothered me the way that Ray and Egon aren't going, look at this picture of Vigo. He's fucking melting the, the, the camera without, like, his face is warping. Fuck! But they don't seem to really notice it. And then it catches fire, and it, it's, again, it's it's almost out of place for the for this film. I, I always took that as they were kind of used to that kind of thing. They were kind of expecting it. They've seen... Yeah. They've seen, I've, they've That's seen almost shit more upsetting. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Winston proves once again that he's um, uh, very, very useful, despite the fact that he's hardly bloody in this film a second time round. Um, Winston actually gets bigger, sh- bigger stuff in the animated yeah. series. Oh yeah, loads more. Um, but I mean, in this again, it's like it's forty-five minutes until he really shows up in any particular capacity. Again, so just like in the first Ghostbusters, it's mainly focusing on the, the the three from SNL. I really hate to say this, and it sounds horrible, but going back and watching these two films, Winston is the token black guy. Yep, she's right. really bad. Again, though, I think, as we said last week, it's more of a case of they didn't quite know what to do with him as opposed to uh, that they just put him in there for the black people. Yeah, it is a shame because Ernie Hudson's a really good actor. Yeah, he's great. In, have you seen Airheads? Yes, yeah, I own Airheads. I freaking love Airheads. Also featuring? Uh, just about 
Uh, we've got Beavis and Butthead. Lemmy. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me narrow it down. Also featuring from Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, it's got um, ah, Egon in. Harold Ramis. That's yes, the he's the sleazy record exec, yeah. which is kind of cool. Who would win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God? Lemmy. Lemmy. Eh. <laughs> God, eh, trick question, Bacon. Lemmy is God. Is God. Can I just say that? <laughs> well, I, I just want to do words there. That's one hell of a lineup when you think about it at the time. Brendan oh, yeah. Fraser, yep. Adam Sandler, yep. Steve Buscemi. Oh, yeah. He, one of the few Adam Sandler films I can still stand. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the ones where he's uh, a bit more um, agreeable in that one. Uh, did you notice know, the cameo from, uh, is it Cheech Marin? Yeah, I spot yeah. it. And Philip Baker Hall and Bobby Brown. Yeah, it's when his song is playing when, when he's the guy who lets them into the uh, mayor's mansion and goes oh can I have a proton pack my nephew really wants one I never realised that should Bobby Brown I didn't totally. know that until this week either friend and of mine I, I, think I remember just saying to Sharon last week uh, you don't see that haircut anymore do you basically it's like a, a sort of like it's like a flat top and it slopes upwards and into a point on one side and for such small mercies may we be truly thankful we'll see if it works at gplex 2014 <laughs> <laughs> the ghostbusters get committed it's it's an analog for the bit where they get sent to prison in the first one nothing to even really talk about there they're talking to brian doyle murray bill's brother <laughs> didn't know that you didn't know that no yeah that's him he's in groundhog day as well so the he, mayor isn't he yeah yeah and uh, he turns up again in the Ghostbusters video game as another mayor. <laughs> so yeah, um, so yeah, that's 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 Brian Doyle Murray there. And uh, then New York gets overrun with ghosts, featuring the Titanic sequence. It's another one of those montages where they show you like five bits, and from that you extrapolate that it's just total chaos. The other the other good bit I like in there is the fur coat scene. Me, that is really really creepy as well. Actually, yeah. when you think about it, I hope it puts some people off wearing fur. You know what would have been really funny if that was actually a fake fur coat? Yeah. I don't even understand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, nothing much else to say. I mean, we're whipping through this film because it's just, like I said, it's a retread full of analogues. There's the bit where Lewis and Janine are are terrible babysitters and Janine suddenly gets the hots for Lewis. It just seemed a bit like sort of, well, she has glasses, he has glasses. Obviously, they're geeks. They'll like each other. Do you know what this reminds me of, guys? (laughs) This reminds me of the Die Hard 2 podcast. Yeah. Keep going off on tangents and we're racing through the film because basically it's just the same as the first film, but, you know, it's just a kind of... Yeah, basically, What are other sequels that you can think of uh, that that this sort of reminds you of in terms of uh, Step Down but sort of still not really being crap? Ooh. Uh, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me? I actually like the second one more. Austin Powers. Yeah, I actually like the second one more. Can't, don't like the third one that much, but the second oh, one God, I love. The third one's a bit naff. To be honest, I don't, I don't really have a favourite out of the first two of those. But yeah, I mean, it, it's still retreading the same ground. It's in, it, there's I lots would... of... <coughs> they've gone, right, we need to tick this box, this box, this box. Yeah. Actually, strange enough, the two that just jumped to my mind would possibly be... And this is personal choice. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2, which I don't enjoy as much as the first one. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Beverly Hills Cop 2, which I don't, again, don't enjoy as much as the first one. No. Yeah. Also, Predator 2 would be another one. Uh, uh, no, no, I like Predator 2. We I love this. Like, no, in terms of, I don't think it's as good as the first. It's still a good. It's not. It's not Beverly Hills Cop 2 levels of, of dropping off. But um, no, no, if you want it, to talk dropping off? 
Highlander 2. Yeah. Oh, Matt, the, the Renegade edition of Highlander 2, a different cut of it, is available. I, I'm going to find it on US Netflix. I'm going to check that one out. Oh, okay. So you... that's the one where they cut out Planet Zeist altogether. Ah! How did I make Neil scream? You mentioned the Zeist. That's ah! all you had to do. <laughs> so if you really want to piss if, if you want to annoy Neil or just really shit him up, just walk up behind him and go, Zeist, and I'll have a fit. <laughs> the main villain. How do you go wrong? You get Sean Connery back. How do you go wrong? You have nothing to do with the original. Set it in a weird post-apocalyptic 80s future. And make your Highlanders from Zeist. You know what, Matt? You're absolutely right. This is the Die Hard 2 of Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's hope Ghostbusters 3 is not like Die Hard 5. Kind of sure let's I hope it. it's like Die Hard with a Vengeance, then. Yeah. Return to form. Okay, so <laughs> Sharon pointed out this one. Uh, well, uh, after the, the Ghostbusters get out of the uh, um, the loony bin, um, they go <laughs> all up inside the Statue of Liberty, and then they squirt the inner walls of her canals with their ghostly goo, <laughs> which makes her happy. And then they play beautiful music for her and control her with their video game joysticks. So there's advantage for the record. They take advantage of her with their video game joysticks and that makes everyone else happy. Did, did you tell Sharon, maybe you're reading too much into this? No, oh, I just nodded in agreement and laughed. Um, I mean, ultimately, for no, surely when they were squirting her insides with goo, someone mentioned that. You know what, until you pointed out, never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Never thought about it that way. Although, again, using the mood line of them as a weapon was, well, not really a weapon, but uh, adapting it to their arsenal I liked. Again, adding to the lore there, which yeah. comes back in the video game, where you actually can use the uh, the, the, the slime shooters. Yeah. Interesting uh, note here, Jackie Wilson singing um, uh, Your Love Is Taking Me Higher. Um on top of the pops once, when, uh, this is a tangent, when Dexy's Midnight Runners were on singing, um, I'm in Heaven, I think it's called, the first words of the, uh, song are, uh, Jackie Wilson said, but a hard of hearing top of the pops, uh, set designer put up an enormous picture of the darts player, Jockey Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a tangent, and back we go to the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> I'm standing in for the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man walking down the street only this time everyone's cheering it and it's not causing terrible amounts of chaos
Sharon, someone please go. Sharon said, why isn't everyone running and screaming in all directions? And why isn't <laughs> this thing causing chaos? But I don't know, it's, it's, um, all the, I mean, it's playing music that they like. It's the Statue of Goddamn Liberty. <laughs> and but it's moving. That's the problem. It's treading on things and breaking streets. I mean, there was only, it, there was a car yeah. in the way and blah, blah, blah. Sorry! Yeah. My fault! <laughs> and then they... That's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man bit. And then they get to the big showdown. And, um... How do they beat him in the end? They insult him. He throws the... Then die! But not actually kill them. Um, beams at them. That, that exactly as painful as Gozer's. <laughs> I do like the insult bits. You know, the... Yeah. You know... I have met some dumb blondes in my life, but you take the taco, pal. That's the one. <laughs> and it's, I it's, the rest, but <laughs> it's good, but it, it, it's lacking that. I mean, again, there's there's a feeling that the world is in danger, and there's but it doesn't have that same impact and same feeling of touching the ethereal plane as the first one. Yeah. Um, Basically, they beat the guy because it's New Year's Eve and all the New Yorkers are having a good time. That's a good point, actually. It's New York who basically wins it for them. Yeah. By being nice. Yes. Yeah. Like they said. So it's like, ultimately a very uplifting kind of finale there. You know, I think they set this film in the wrong year. So it should have been set in 1999. Yeah. With everyone uh, afraid and of what was going to happen come midnight and then suddenly the world did not end. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and... Uh, they win, they go outside, New York love them, and the, the, the really ugly baby, Oscar, gets to not be possessed. Oh, uh, come on, let's talk about the symbolism at the end, come on. I you want, know you want the to. The fettuccines. <laughs> uh, do you mean the, 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 the painting. painting? Yeah. What's the symbolism, Neil? I'm not sure. I think he's trying to paint the Ghostbusters as saints, almost. Lyra said that they were angels, so you're probably right. If a five-year-old believes that, then yeah. It is a good thing. I like it though. It is a nice little twist that you've got that something that the canvas that was so evil and stuff once defeated becomes something pure mm. and something hopeful. I, I kind of like that. And again, I wonder if, you know, with the Destin thing and stuff, if they carried on, would that have played into something? Mm. I'd suck in the guts, guys, with the Ghostbusters. Sorry we had to hose you there, but you were kind of out of control. Heat them up. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Wonder what? Whether she's naked under that toga? She's French. You know that. Let's see what happens when we take away the puppy. Of course not. And that is the whole problem with aliens is you just can't trust them. Occasionally you meet a nice one, Starman, E.T., but usually they turn out to be some kind of big lizard. Hey, what, you boneheads are going to come and roust me out again? I got 3,000 phones out in Granite Church. I got about 8 million miles of cable I got to check. You're going to come and shake my monkey tree again? What are you talking about, buddy? The phone lines are over there. What did I say to you? Your phone lines oh. are over there. Hey. What did I hey, say? Hey, hey. How many times? Hey. Hey, you're not with Con Ed or the phone company. We check. So tell me another one. I got a major gas leak here. Where do you think all this is coming from? The sky? Ray, 
We'd like to shoot the monster. Could you move, please? Two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. You think there's a connection between this Vigo character and the... Slime? It's the atomic weight of cobalt, 58.9. Okay, but after dinner, don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. No, 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 no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Hello? There are some things in this world that go way beyond human understanding. Things that cannot be explained. Things that most people don't want to know about. That is where we come in. So what you're saying is that the world of the supernatural is your exclusive province? Kitten, I think what I'm saying is that sometimes shit happens, someone has to deal with it, and who are you going to call? You never even had a slinky? We had part of a slinky, but I straightened it. Please tell the court why it is that you and your co-defendants took it upon yourselves to dig a very big hole in the middle of First Avenue. Well, there's so many holes in First Avenue, we really didn't think anyone would notice. (laughs) This is Prince Rigo, the roller cortez in Moldavia. Bit of a sissy, isn't he? As I explained before... We think the spirit of a 17th century Moldavian tyrant is alive and well in a painting at the Manhattan Museum of Art. Uh-huh. And are there any other paintings in the museum with bad spirits in them? You're wasting valuable time. He's drawing strength from a psychomagnetic slime flow that's been collecting under the city. Yes, tell me about the slime. It's very potent stuff. We made a toaster dance with it. Toaster. And a bathtub tried to eat his friend's baby. A bathtub? Don't look at me. I think these people are completely nuts. What kind of test? Well, we sing to it, and uh, we talk to it, and say supportive, nurturing things to it. You're not sleeping with it, are you, Ray? Oh, you. It's always the quiet ones. You hound. Pinkman, would you get a stool specimen, please? Business or personal? Oh, you're my number one Christmas boutique gift item. Right. And the first time somebody gets mad, the toaster could eat their hand. No, 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 no. We put a warning label on it. We don't have any liability. Ah! Ow! Ow! How did you ever go for it? The old man-eating toaster. We've taken our own head count. There seem to be three million completely miserable assholes living in the tri-state area. Oh, please. I beg your pardon, three million and one. Hey. And what Budgie Brain here doesn't realize is that if we don't do something fast, this whole place is going to blow like a frog on a hot plate. Mother, baby, go ahead and knock up some willing hellhound. Otherwise, I'm giving you three to get back in that painting where you belong. One. Two. Three. We're the best. We're the beautiful. We're the only... Ghostbusters!
But yeah, the uh, the film came out and everybody who liked it liked it. But the the, the general uh, gist uh, of it from the actual cast, especially Bill Murray, was that it was compromised and it wasn't the original vision for what they wanted. Uh, as a chap recently, a big fan of Ghostbusters called Brad- Bradley Bjornstead, uh, who uh, started a Kickstarter to raise $100,000 to take to Sony to say, right, give me access, please, to uh, all of your archives, and I will pull out all the archival footage from Ghostbusters 2 and splice back in all of those scenes with Slimer and Lewis and Ray getting possessed and all of that, and we'll do our best to basically restore it to what it was originally supposed to be. So Ghostbusters 2, the renegade cut. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, th- this has happened throughout movie history, and uh, um, I don't think he made his $100,000. That doesn't mean he won't ever make that, or that Sony won't ever um, listen to him. Um, it's, a, it's a tough fight, though, because ultimately... Um, uh, mind you, I think, Highland, I think this Highlander 2 was even cited in an article I read about this. And, you know, that was a terrible film, and nobody liked it, and yet it still got... I think it even got two cuts, two new it- ones. It, it, it's been cut several, several yeah. times. Still not made it any good. Yeah. Come on, Highlander 3 was the apology, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but, so, so yeah, the Beyond wants to go back and basically deliver us an, a, a, an alternate version of uh, Ghostbusters, um, and finally bring us some extra features and, uh, and something for, for the Blu-ray, because, and he also wants to do a documentary on what the film was originally supposed to be. Now, from what we've heard from researching it, the, the film kept changing along the way all the time anyway, so uh, it was never going to be what it was originally, and a lot of what was cut out was it was just sort of a work in progress the whole time. There was less of a definitive vision on it. Sort of like Ghostbusters 3. He's in, he's out. Yeah. He's in, he's out. He's alive. He's dead, he's dead, he's alive. <laughs> we'll come no, to we- Ghostbusters 3 in a bit, but yeah, basically, that's why they've been holding back for so long. It's uh, they, they want it to be as as tight as possible in the scripting stage. They want it to to uh, be as high quality as possible, and they want to have a very strong vision for the film rather than just constant changing of their minds throughout the actual production. Which is admirable, ultimately. It's much better than... They could have shat this out in 2005, 2000, whenever, but they're waiting, and they're, it's, they're taking it slow, and uh, hopefully all of this will eventually pay off. It's, there, are, there are a few films which take ages to come out, but when they finally emerge, it re- really were worth the wait. Six years after the real Ghostbusters ended, after it had been handed over to Slimer to handle for the last three series, Extreme Ghostbusters emerged in 1997. Um, now, I never watched this when I was 17, 
because I was a bit too old and I never watched it in between times. I've watched the first and last double-length episodes this afternoon and I'm still kind of nonplussed, so I'm going to hand it over to Neil to explain why Extreme Ghostbusters is very good. I will just I'll briefly, I'll briefly synopsis it. A bunch of new kids go to Egon's lectures at uh, Columbia U and he ends up drafting them to be new Ghostbusters. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's good. I wouldn't say, but it's not bad. Um, it's one of those few shows, you know, I think we've talked about this before on, on other shows where we talk about not a lot of, uh, um, cartoons get direct sequels. Yeah. The obvious one being Batman Beyond to Batman the Animated Series. And, and The Legend of Korra. And, and The Legend of Korra. This is another one. This is a direct sequel to the real Ghostbusters. And I, I like sort of the setup that they took with this. The fact that sort of the paranormal activity had died down, which eventually put the Ghostbusters out of business. So once again, like Ghostbusters 2, they sort of gone their separate ways. Egon's doing what you think Egon will be doing. He's become a teacher. Janine's with him. And you get this group of... Now, this is where, unfortunately, it falls into that late 90s, um, hey, we've got one of everything category. You've got this diverse group of characters, which is still fun. You've got, uh, you've sort of got the goth girl in, in, um, I've got a name now. Kylie, uh, Kylie, something like that. It is uh, Kylie. Kylie. You've got, uh, the Hispanic guy who is your replacement for Pete Bateman. And let's face it, he screams out from the start. You know exactly why he's that particular character. Eduardo. He's he's there to be the replacement. Uh, you've got uh, an interesting one with Garrett, who is actually a Ghostbuster who's in a wheelchair. Yeah, which was a nice a nice little touch. And that, that was a, a last minute decision because he was supposed to be sort of the adrenaline junkie, but they they figure that an interesting um, way of transposing that would be someone who can't actually get up and run, and someone who actually was confined to a wheelchair. It does, it, it, looking at a picture, it does smack a little bit of tokenism. They've got a black guy, a white, <laughs> sorry, a black guy, a Spanish guy, a guy in a wheelchair, and a girl. But it does give them a bit more um, of a, character. A, a character to be to, to work from. And if I remember correctly, uh, Roland, who's the black guy, if I remember this correctly, is voiced by Colton from the Fresh Prince of Ballet. <laughs> uh, I'll take your word on that one. He's the geek of the group. The, yeah. what the, the um, I said geek he, he's the SWAT of the group yeah. Way, yeah which again would probably be why it was Carlton I think but I like this because it's, it's a different group of characters it allows them to have um, more character based stories as well you go into some of the guys fears especially Kylie who's who while presenting to, uh, it's kind of a, a trope now presenting, presenting the tough exterior outside is quite soft on the inside and has fears and insecurities and it is a lot of fun the opening episode is pretty good and the two-parter that you watch at the end which is where they actually bring back the other guys the only problem the there, real Ghostbusters uh, you've also got Slimer in there because obviously it's Ghostbusters and you can't have Slimer and you, did you look up who the voice of Slimer was in this? it's not Frank Welker I'll tell you that no, but it's a it's a famous voice actor. Billy West. Yes. Oh, nice. It's Billy West. It's Fry. Uh, I think one of the well, things that... uh, who's interestingly he is Nibbler's owner in Futurama. Yep. I did mention to uh, to Lyra that I can do a better Slimer voice than uh, Billy West. <laughs> that is a very Frank Welker stroke uni Slimer, <laughs> which is actually spot on for the for the real Ghostbusters. Um... The, one of the problems I really had with this show was probably its art style. 
I didn't like the art style as much. It was a very of the time art style that they were going for. Slightly exaggerated features and stylized looks. Which is a shame, but again, a lot of good stuff in there. They redesigned the equipment, which they... The weird thing is, in the redesign of the equipment, they sort of made them actually look more like guns, which I kind of didn't like. I've, I've not seen I've not seen any of this, so I'm just looking stuff up on the internet as, as you're talking about it. And, and yeah, I, I, I know what you mean about making them look more like guns. And I see what you mean about the art style. I mean, it, it's still reminiscent of the real Ghostbusters in that the hair is exaggerated and so forth. But yeah, it seems to have gone a stage further. Mm. And it's, it's not my cup of tea, I'll be yeah. honest. And you do get some returning villains. Um, Sam Hain returns. Oh, the, the pumpkin guy. Yeah, he comes back. The pumpkin king. <laughs> Sorry. But I, I, for the time, it wasn't bad. It, it didn't. Oh, it did not get a big run like the original real. No, it was, it was over in just a few months. They do, they do this sometimes with uh, uh, animated series where they just screen the first series over a, a matter of months, and then that's it. Yeah, it got 40 episodes, which isn't bad. Yeah. I think the worst thing they did is the title. Extreme Game. Yeah. Extreme Game. It, it does, it, you mock it when you hear that, but actually when you show, you watch the show, it's not really what you think of when you think Extreme. No. It had a different title. It, it may have caught on, but again... The next that, generation would have been a better name for it, really. The new Ghostbusters would have worked, because it would have the same, yeah. same beat as the uh, the real Ghostbusters and, and would have been you know, accurate. Yeah, good mm. point, yeah. Mm. I'm a genius. It just sounds like it's been poochified with extreme. Yeah. That, again, late 90s, kind of a problem. I love that phrase, by the way, because everybody our age knows exactly what I mean when I say poochified. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, basically, when The Simpsons was funny. Yeah. <laughs> they were right on the money. Something strange in your neighborhood. Could you get a call? If there's something weird and it don't look good, who you gonna call? That's right. Uh, so yeah, that that was it for Ghostbusters for many, many, many years, and then uh, 2009. So it had been 12 years after Extreme Ghostbusters, uh, the video game came out.
uh, I bought this at the time on PlayStation 3. My save got deleted, so I bought it a few months later when it came out on 360. If you remember, Sony, who were doing the distribution and had it made on PS3, kind of, you know, released, it on, three, released it on 360 in America at the same time, but Europe and the rest of the world didn't get released for quite some time. I know. Yeah. So uh, when I finally got hold of it on 360, played it up to the the same point I was at, but I'd already gotten kind of bored of playing the same bits again, and I just sort of left off. And I thought about getting it again and playing through it and forcing my way through just for this show, and I thought, you know what? I didn't have that much fun with it the first time around. What's the point of forcing myself through just to say I didn't like it very much? So I watched all of the cutscenes back-to-back in Ghostbusters, the video game, the movie, on YouTube, which is available in two parts, and it was great fun to watch. Four hours long, so set aside a whole afternoon. See, I, I, I like the game. I, this is probably my second favourite um, video game movie tie-in. What's your first favourite? Escape from Butcher Bay, of course. I thought I was going to say GoldenEye 64, but yeah. Uh, Butcher Bay is also very good. Oh, wait, are you going, uh, already? I, I l- <laughs> We're thinking about doing a Gonzo show on that, but if you're going to go, uh, No, 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 it's, uh, I haven't played it in a while, so... Right. I, but I love, I'm a Ghostbusters suck. I am a sucker for Ghostbusters video game. I've played a few of them, and most of them have been... Terrible. I'm not going to lie. Most of them are absolute garbage. In fact, the game that followed this is absolute garbage. And it's kind of funny because I think Ter- Terminal Reality, who who started out doing it, mm. I think something happened. And they got bought up, so they got, and that's how you know the interest got um, going, rolling. You saw the footage that it sort of put out of this game they're working on, and then it all started to roll together. And this essentially is Ghostbusters three because it ties back yeah. into the first one. It ties up a lot of loose ends. It explains a lot of things. And I love the opening. The opening is such a Ghostbusters opening. In fact, there are many, many beats that this follows uh, um, from Ghostbusters 1. And also there's many, many references to Ghostbusters 2 there. It's clearly a a fan effort. They're not just milking it. And it's written by uh, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Harold Ramis. And it's wonderful to hear their voices back again and doing it properly. And although Peter and Winston disappear for big chunks of the game, uh, it, it still feels authentic. Yeah, uh, and once again, I think the, the the developers did a good job of, of giving the fans sort of what they wanted in a, a, a part three, but also let you hit some of those classic moments, like you do get to fight Staple again, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got to show their creativity and in, in some of the ghosts that they designed, and I enjoyed that. Uh, the story is not bad, and like I said, it's a good fact that they tied it all back into the first film because this yeah. time, oh, I forgot his name now. Ah, they watched the film. Not long ago. The, the Evo Shandor. That's it. It ties into that. Mm-hmm. And they also go back to the, the the library and they meet the librarian ghost who is revealed to be named Eleanor Twitty. And yeah. They go back to the Sedgwick Hotel where they uh, first met Slimer. And um, there's actually some really quite scary bits involving... Like when you go into the kitchen and, and there's various invisible poltergeists that start levitating things with absolutely no sound at all. It freaked me out. Oh yeah, they, they, they got away, they could do stuff in that game that you couldn't really get away. That works in a game. They, they, there's a real lot of heart and effort put into this game. Also, very significantly, Elmer Bernstein's score. Yes, yeah. <laughs> this score is very good for that game. Yeah, it, it, it ties in really well. If they haven't made one already, a Lego Ghostbusters game would be very straightforward to put together. That's the only reason I bought Lego Rock Band. Oh, yeah. Because you can play Ghostbusters. Of course, yes. <laughs> that is a highlight, yeah. It is. It's actually a really cracking bit, which makes me go, why isn't there a Lego Ghostbusters game? It writes itself. Oh, God, yes. Just proper Lego. No no taking scenes from the movie and putting the voices in. Let's have it all comedy. <laughs> 
So you mean go back to the where they didn't put? I think that's going to be Lego from now on. I think they, it's difficult for them to go back now. Mm. We'll see. We'll see what happens with the Lego movie. I am really looking forward to that. Oh, uh, Alex Spencer's added to the choose your form of your destructor seagulls. <laughs> Imagine the ones from Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. Oh God! <laughs> Ten thousand of them. Just oh. giant ones eating buildings. Mine, um, mine. Um. Nice. So, shall we... Uh, yeah, um, the, the Ghostbusters game, it can be picked... It's been deleted now because of licensing, but you can pick it up for, like, £15. Uh, if you are a... If you're a Ghostbusters nut, you've already played it. True. I'm a Ghostbusters nut, I've already played it, but you may not have completed it. It is worth at least watching the uh, the films on, on YouTube. If you can... I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fairly perfunctory shooter... It, just in terms of mechanics, but it does, it's very playful in terms of what, uh, tools it, it, and equipment you get to use. I'm not even going to really call them weapons because it's all about catching, not, not destroying. That's it. I think what makes this special is the fact that, alright, the gameplay wise, mechanics wise, it is nothing special, but it's, it's setting, it's material, it's characters, it's writing that set it above yeah. just being an average. And then again, maybe it just, just appeal to, appeal to people like us of a certain age, but my, God, it was great fun. And the fact that the proton packs sound like proton packs. I defy anyone not yeah. to fire and smile. The sound design is wonderfully authentic as well. Yeah, absolutely. Ghostbusters, is your haunting an apparition, poltergeist, phantasm wraith, banshee demon specter, tortured solar? What? No, we do not summon dead family members and catch them so you can ask the combination to the safe. Yeah, well, same to you, pal. Hey, it's the new cadet. Welcome aboard. This might be a little dangerous. Great. Danger is our life. We'll start at 50% capacity. That should keep any burning or tissue damage to a minimum. Hey, if you're going to burn any tissue, do it to the new kid. You can't use Ray. Our mortgage is in his name. I guess he's right. What's your name again, kid? No names, Ray. I don't want to get too attached to this kid. You know, just in case. <laughs> you remember what happened to the last guy. He's tuned and ready to go. You may feel a little tingle. Good. We've perfected an extensive and rigorous training regimen that will teach you all your equipment's basic functions. It takes some time to achieve master throw skill, but it's definitely worth the effort. <laughs> Was that us? I don't think so. Ray? Had to be some sort of psi energy pulse. Substantial. A significant collected and centralized necromatic convulsion level 7 or more. Agreed. We need EMF measurement checks now. I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. Is a level 7 whatever bad or very bad? On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say... Let me guess. It's a seven. Let's just say we're about to get real busy. And if you uh, uh, if you have a large chunk of cash uh, and you uh, fancy getting some action figures, uh, more than just jumping on eBay and getting the real Ghostbusters, go to mattycollector.com, uh, where for about £30 you can buy fully poseable six-inch Peter Venkman, Egon Spengler, Ray Stans, etc., uh, styled after their movie likenesses, so they look actually like the actors. Nice. Indeed. And there's a, a fairly large range that have been... 
released and then deleted over the years. So if you want to go, go hunting for them, there's plenty to uh, choose from. As long also, as you've got a deep wallet. Can I just say, do not buy Sanctum of Slime. Yeah, that that's pretty grim. It's just a, a crappy twin-stick shooter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very crappy. On Rotten Tomatoes, Ghostbusters has an absolutely spot-on 96%. I, I cannot argue with that. 51% for Ghostbusters 2, though. That seems about right. I'd say about half the people who watch this will come out going, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I'm I'd one put of those, it a bit so higher I... than that myself, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, not, I'd, not a, a vast amount, but I'd, I'd put it higher. Than I'd put it in the seventies myself if yeah, I was going to late sixties, late seventies. Yeah, uh, it's in the 80s for me. I I got to see this at the cinema. I loved it. I was a kid. That's I, I point, just yeah. yeah, I I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I it's not I, even though this was the first one I saw. This mm. is one of the rare occasions where I say I love the first one more, but I do love the second one. Because normally I tend to find it's a case of the first film you see, yeah. if it's in this, like, like Predator 2, for example, it was the first one I saw, so I love Predator 2. Mm. Not like, I, it's not that I don't like the first Predator, I do like it, I think it's a very good film, but I love Predator 2. Which brings us to Ghostbusters 3. And this will be what we end or on. Or 4. <laughs> or 4. Now, I learned from talking about uh, Matthew Vaughan, the director of Star Wars Episode 7, not to say anything for, for definite <laughs> regarding uh, upcoming films uh, in production or out of them or in production hell, as this uh, um, has been. Uh, throughout the 90s, basically, Dan Aykroyd wrote a script for a potential third film. And since then, it's let's face it, it's been basically a case of saying, Bill, will you do this? No. Will you do this? No. How about this year, Bill Murray? Would you do this? Seriously, no. the guy did Garfield 2. Yeah. And Let's he look at what Bill Murray's Street. done uh, with his uh, career, all the while he could have been doing uh, Ghostbusters 3, <laughs> shall we? Hold on. But to be fair, there's some very, very good films in there. Oh, yeah, Zombieland's excellent appearance. Lost in Translation. Yep. Uh, Groundhog, cool. Day. Groundhog Day. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. What about Bob? He was in Edward. That's very good. Kingpin. Space Jam. Dude, you'll do Space Jam, but not Ghostbusters. Hey, Space Jam, when you were that age, was pretty damn good. I will say it has not held up very well at all. Wild wild Things. Remember that one? Was that the one? No, no. I'm thinking of Cruel Intelligence. Never mind. No. Uh, Denise Richards gets her boobs out, and Neve Campbell does not. Uh, Rushmore. Excellent film, wonderful, love it, totally. Just the the the, the dramatic pinnacle. Of, oh no 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 no! no. Go to two thousand. There's no excuse here. Charlie's Angels. I think did he headbutt McGee? I, I think he so. did. He definitely walked out because he was disgusted with the way that that film was put together. Um, Lost in Translation, Garfield, The Life Aquatic where he was again uh, starring in that as a Wes Anderson film. Not a fan of Life Aquatic. Garfield 2, Darjeeling Limited. <sighs> and then City of... Now we're getting into old Bill Murray, where he's like sort of properly greying, and he's just doing stuff for fun now. He was in City of Ember with Saucy Ronan. Um, Is that really her name? <laughs> it's Saoirse Ronan, but it's a, it's a, that's a Digital Cowboys in-joke from fucking years ago. Uh, Zombieland. Fantastic Mr. Fox. I've forgotten he was in that. He's Badger. Uh, well, that's not Wes Anderson, isn't it? Yeah, he basically works in whatever Wes Anderson wants to do, he'll do it. Um, although, interestingly, on his filmography, it is not rumouring Ghostbusters 3. What it tends to do is when they're in production, uh, the, if they're rumoured to be in it, it'll it'll say Ghostbusters 3 rumoured. 
yeah. Bill Murray. But uh, over... <sighs> Here's the thing. Ghostbusters is bigger than uh, Harold Ramis. It's bigger than Dan Aykroyd. It's bigger than Bill Murray. It's bigger than all of these characters as a franchise, as an idea. Um, but there's a certain amount of delicacy that this third uh, needs to be handled with. And there's a certain amount of perfectionism with which uh, Dan Aykroyd's trying to approach it with. You see, uh, one of the things that they could do if Bill doesn't want to do it, I, I know at one point they were talking about the fact he died. Uh, not it would Bill come Murray. back as a ghost and they could CG well, him in. Maybe not as a ghost, but if he actually had the fact that Bill Murray died... Oh, no, sorry, not Bill Murray. Uh, Peter Vakeman died doing something involving the Ghostbusters and they stopped because... Yeah. It, that would actually make a really good character beat moment and make it quite interesting because I know was it we were joking about maybe Vince Vaughn could play a very Peter Vakeman type role yeah like that a Bill Murray type uh, rather than straight out recasting Peter Venkman because ultimately everyone's going to smell it everyone's going to know Bill Murray didn't want to bloody do it it's like in um uh, Indiana Jones 4 when it's like first dad died then Marcus and it's like yeah you know what dad didn't have to die but Sean Connery wouldn't come back and do it he also technically he did retire from acting. He did retire, but I mean the, uh, the better one to have said would have said would have been Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, she, she, she never mentions it. She no, she was offered a role in Ghostbusters the video game and turned it down. Ah, so did um, Rick Moranis. He also yep. has retired, although he has said uh, that um, when when asked about it that uh, he wouldn't not do it, which is a ringing endorsement if I ever heard one. <laughs> Uh, but it has to be good. Everyone's saying it has to be good. It must be good. So I think basically after Ghostbusters 2, they were like, this is just stupid. And there are a few bits in Ghostbusters 2 that really are a bit silly. The, the way that the uh, the courtroom scenes ha- handled is it, a little too silly. Mm. Even for a film as a franchise as silly as Ghostbusters. Although I do like the do Ray. Egon! <laughs> and the smile he has on his face when he says that. It's like, I made a funny. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, at the moment, uh, after if you go to Wikipedia and read through the incredibly rocky, long road to getting this done, it's it's a lot of people like you know Bill Murray um, appearing on, on talk shows and interviews and being asked about it and being asked and asked and asked. And it's almost like the more people ask him, the less he's going to do it. But then occasionally he'll do things like saying... Maybe I should do it. Maybe it'd be fun to do. He literally did say that uh, on uh, an interview with Coming Soon in 2010. See, the trouble is, and this is the... I hate to be the one that says this. They're too old. Unless it is a handoff movie to a new well, set no, of It people. will be. That's 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 the concept now. It's It's been like that for a long, long time. It's Leonard Nimoy wasn't too old for Star Trek. And neither yeah, be. But Leonard Nimoy doesn't exactly go around being Spock of old in Star Trek. He'd just be, he's just old Spock. Yeah. But that's the thing. Um, I, uh, that's really the, the best they can hope for at this stage. New blood, new kids. Uh, the same concept as, uh, extreme Ghostbusters. Only they were just simply, the remaining Ghostbusters who actually opt into this movie would mentor the new generation. That's all we want and that's what all anyone really wants. In all fairness, I mean, having, having seen Dan Aykroyd in something fairly recently, he could probably just about carry it off mm. as, you know, to, to continue as a Ghostbuster. But you look at uh, Bill Murray, and he does look quite old. Look at Harold Ramis. He's swelled. He's, he's, there's a lot more Harold Ramis than there used to be, let's put it that way. He <laughs> does not look. Harold Ramis. 
he would have to hold in several bellies uh, yeah. in the jumpsuit. Let's be honest. I mean, he has got he has got he looks old. They, him and Bill Murray look old. They do not look like they could do yeah. this anymore. Yeah. Whereas Dan Aykroyd at least has hasn't changed that much, and I could just about see him get away with it. And Ernie Hudson for that. For that Ernie Hudson definitely could, could get away with it. But the other two, I really can't see it myself. I mean, being in the film, yeah, that's fine. But but actually being Ghostbusters, no. I mean, like the CEO and the the I don't know the some of the <laughs> highfalutin title that would work. But I can't. You know, as actual Ghostbusters, no. no I, I could see you know like Egon being a teacher again, sort of maybe with tenure or something. So he's got a bit portly and stuff. You could get away with. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I can I can totally I can totally see him playing Egon again. I just can't see him as being a, a Ghostbuster really. Uh, you know what's going to actually clinch this one? No. Star Wars Episode 7. When crumbly old Mark Hamill. Hamill? No one calls him that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just Hamill. There's no Hamill part. I was looking at a picture of Harold Ramis at the time, and I think that's probably what swayed me. When crumbly old Mark Hamill, crumbly old Harrison Ford, and haggard old Kerry Fisher get wheeled out, and the entire oh, audience goes fucking ballistic. Don't do that. Unless you're killing Han Solo, don't do that. But they're gonna. I kind of don't want them to. Okay, right. You know what? In the the same way as the original, the the Star Trek, uh, the Abrams Star Trek was gonna happen whether we wanted it to or not. I'm not saying I don't want it to happen. They're gonna have their way with us with Star Wars and we're gonna be there in the fucking (laughs) row queue on opening day. Oh god, yeah. We know it. Yes. But uh, no, they're gonna. They will wheel out the uh, original stars of the franchise because they have the opportunity. It's right there, and they'll do it. And that's basically it, it, the reaction to that. People going, "Oh, it's so good to see you on screen and these characters again." That will inform upon Ghostbusters three, and that's only two years away. Less year and a half, even. So, are we saying now, JJ Abrams to direct Ghostbusters? No. <laughs> I've been saying the Apatow crowd for quite some time. I think Seth Rogen would no. actually be quite a, a good. No, uh, who would you cast then? Just as just as new blood in a similar vein, people who sort of feel like they would fit in the Ghostbusters world. I think you could really cast just about anyone of a certain standard. It's just the trouble with the Apatow crowd and the guys like Seth Rogen. While they are funny, I don't think they would fit into that world. We mentioned Vince Vaughn. I think Vince Vaughn would get away with that. I know he's getting on himself, though. I know. I was about to say, I know he's getting on, but you can see a Vince Vaughn style character in that world. Mm. You can see, you you know, he he sort of fits. How about um, Kristen Weig? Well, funnily enough. You say that, I was thinking actually, um, Bill Hader. Yeah, actually, yeah. Or with Kristen Weig, he would work as a, a Venkman replacement. He could do a really good job as that. Or, uh, Rain Wilson as a, uh, mm. see, a I've only, I think I've only seen Rain Wilson in Transformers 2, so that's probably not a good indictment of his work. No, um. Watch him in Super. It's yeah. Great in Super. It's a great film. Or, or The Office, which he's mm. excellent in. Have either of you seen Doll? Well, I know you haven't. Have you seen Dollhouse, um, Neil? I have seen sort of the first few episodes of Dollhouse. In fact, actually, you've both seen Cabin in the Woods, right? Yeah. Yes. The guy who plays is it Marty from well, Friends? The, the stoner guy. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, yes. He, yes. He could do. He's he's great and and should be in more things, frankly. And uh, yes, he could do a great right. job as as e- uh, an Egon type, you know, the 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 nerdy, nerdy type. Guy. That's what he's in Dollhouse, really, and he's fantastic. Speaking Ooh. of that, I would actually say if you wanted someone who's a bit more 
uh, if you wanted to be more an action oriented, more more forceful, more energetic Ghostbuster, someone like uh, Chris Evans, The Rock. Chris Chris Evans, Evans, Captain America himself. Chris Evans or the Mighty Thor himself as well. Both Chris Evans and um, uh, Chris Hemsworth are funny. Mm. That's something they don't really get to flex that much uh, in the the Avengers because they're sharing the screen with Robert Goddamn Downey Jr. But um, but yeah, that would work. I'm with that. Um, And I always have to say this because this dude's awesome. I just want him in more stuff. Idris Elba. Oh God, yes. Just Although he'd be better as a sort of government official who doesn't want put to him in everything because he's fucking amazing. Just put yeah. him in everything and we'll all be happy. I think is the way it works. Yeah, even- Star Wars Episode Seven. Put him in Star Trek Three. Put him in everything. Oh, actually, another character, another actor I wouldn't mind seeing in it. Um, you just made me think of it. Uh, Chewy, 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 tell you for. Yeah. How about two alumni from Zombieland, Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone? Emma Stone, yes, I really do like Emma Stone. Jesse Eisenberg, I back and forth on him. Sometimes really good, sometimes kind of irritating. Yeah, no, Emma Stone definitely, yeah. She, her and Idris Elba in everything, and, and everything will be great. That's the way it needs to work. Yeah. Actually, another guy, because you said Emma Stone, uh, Matthew, uh, Garfield, Andrew Garfield, I think could be quite a good choice. Watch Red, are you watching in Red Riding Trilogy? You will go, damn, this guy can act. Oh, well, no, 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 I'm not disputing his acting at all. I, I'm disputing how funny he can be. Yeah. He's, he's an absolutely, he's a brilliant, uh, uh, actor. It's the, uh, also we've, we've seen him be Spider-Man in New York, so we know he fits maybe too well. Oh, come on, you telling me the line where he, he's winding up the mugger isn't funny. Oh, no, it's, fu- it's funny. No, it's, it's, it's just that he doesn't strike. I think you kind of need to go with comedians first and good actors, uh, sort of tertiary to being able to just straight out make you laugh. I think though, if you, you balance it out with a, a few comedians and a few good actors, you will get a nice little balance in there. You, mm. you get guys who were. That's a good point. Ernie Hudson wasn't brought in just because he was a great comedian. So it could be, again, it, you're actually open to a lot of interesting possibilities, but it's fantasy casting. Yeah. And sometimes Hollywood does Batfleck on you and hey you never know as long as it's not Jack Black as much as I love Jack Black uh, it would feel too much like it a depends is it is it Jack Black notting out of control or Jack Black having to toe the line because towing the line Jack Black is always good it would just it would, no line Jack Black is as long as it doesn't feel like one of those MTV awards skits I hate them more school of rock less pick of destiny although have you seen um, thank you for sorry have you seen Be Kind Rewind? No, but I hear very good things about it. He another- kind of already has been in Ghostbusters then, because they they <laughs> Ghostbusters. You gotta find new tapes. I got a better idea. Follow me. When you're walking down the street yeah. and you see a little ghost, what, what you gonna do about Ghostbusters? What? What? What is that? That's the Ghostbusters theme song. No. I'm pretty sure it is. Something strange. Stay where you are. I'm on my way. Then I got slime. That's another actor, Moss Def, who could. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd like to see more of because uh, everyone loved uh, Hitchhikers so much. Actually, to be fair to him, he was a very, very good Ford Prefect. A very different take on it, but very good. Yeah, I agree. Just every Hitchhiker's fan doesn't. I like Hi, the Hitchhiker's fan, but 
I don't like the movie, but I... I did. I thought it was all right. I think they got I some good it. acting choices in there. Okay, I would recommend people watch uh, the Michel Gondry film, Be Kind Rewind. It is a film where uh, a couple of guys who own a video store accidentally wipe all the tapes and get the harebrained scheme idea of uh, remaking all the films um, to then rent out to people. It's uh, I, it's quite charming at times. I've heard very good things about this, so yeah. I'm just passing that one back across. It's not like slap your thighs, funny, hilarious, brilliant, classic, but it's a quirky oddity and uh, good fun for Ghostbusters fans. So yeah, um, Ghostbusters 3, like I say, is an inevitability. It will happen in some form. Whether it's called Ghostbusters 3 or not is irrelevant. It will happen. Um, it just it's ultimately comes down to timing as to whether the uh, how many surviving Ghostbusters are in it. And maybe timing and choice, ultimately. You know, Murray was in the Ghostbusters game, but only because he could turn up, say his lines, and then bugger back off again. He wouldn't have to ever. I I, I can tell you right now, we're never going to see Bill Murray in a proton pack. And, it, and if he is, it's going to be a very, very thin, hollow fiberglass shell because he hated wearing that thing. <laughs> he always walks around with that kind of slouch, kind of like not really bearing the weight properly. It's, 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 it's iconic of him being sort of this sort of slacker cowboy type. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he never really sort of braces himself against it. And he hated it. Well, he even makes a, a reference to it in, in the second film, doesn't he? Yeah. I, I always hated this part of the job. Yeah. And I can imagine that because, it, you know, if that was even even vaguely a real thing that would weigh a fucking ton and you'll notice that it was uh, uh, Ray and Winston who were wearing the um, uh, slime backpacks which were much heavier because there's no way they were going to get one of them on Murray Um, I'm going to send you one more picture this needs to happen okay yeah that does need to happen hang on (sighs) yes Oh, yes. <laughs> they are looking <laughs> at a Lego, a Lego Ecto-1. It yeah, must have. Like We've had a DeLorean. We have to have an Ecto-1. Come on. We faced it before with Ghostbusters 2. You know, the difficulties are the difficulties. Uh, no matter how much people love the the first uh, statement of a, of a premise, you know, it, you know, is Spider-Man 3 as good as the first Spider-Man? You know, probably not. You know, probably got a little tired, uh, maybe a little felt a little manufactured certainly the last indiana jones you know was to me was like a disaster uh and i think most people felt that way although i read online that uh, harrison ford made 65 million dollars from this uh and i guess that's a reward for having created these cultural icons so you know you could reap the reward we can do anything and you know we'd all make some money probably but no one wants to do that you know would we don't need the work. We don't need to do it. You know, the public. If, if they only had two Ghostbusters, uh, <laughs> we'd all we'd all be fine. The, the world would not end. And uh, but you know, if we're gonna do it, it it's impossible to say. You know, oh, we want to be better than the first one. Who knows? You know, you just you do your best work. You you, you try to bring fresh thoughts to it. Uh, Look at it in, in a new context, but you know, I, I doubt it's not going to be like the the rebooting of Batman. We're not going to be wearing you know sculpted suits with pecs, you know, and abs built into it, you know, and stuff. <laughs> We're not going to get like super high tech. I don't think that's not what made Ghostbusters funny. In fact, what made Ghostbusters funny was kind of the low tech aspect of it. So, um, you know, for for us, it's always going to be about character. 
Uh, and then secondarily, it's going to be about the, uh, the, the pseudoscience of it, you know, the, the, the made-up gadgets and, and, and the fake mythology. And, you know, if there's a, a message that underlies the whole thing, I wanna, I, personally, I want to believe in that message and feel like we're saying something useful to the audience. Yeah, Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd and I. Dan's always been the one who kept the flame alive. Uh, Dan wrote a script on spec on his own several years ago. Uh, it, uh, some publicity got out about it, uh, some rumor. Uh, and it was basically Ghostbusters go to hell, which I thought was a great premise, you know. <laughs> um, but it, 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 the deal failed to materialize. The, the, the team didn't come back together because no one felt a deal could be made, like the studio was not ready to lay out that much uh, capital for it. But um, and, and it wasn't because we were so greedy. I don't know. It just wasn't gelling at the time. Um, and now there's kind of more of a group will. I think there's definitely a public ad- appetite for it. So uh, basically, I because I was already working with Gene and Lee, we, we hammered out a story together. And the studio signed off on the story, and Dan Aykroyd signed off. Ivan's busy directing his other movie, and Ivan's always taken the position of, you know, let's see a first draft. He didn't want to get into micromanaging the uh, the story elements of it. So um, we will come to everyone with a first draft. Generally, he'll knock it out. Uh, but we're patient. You know, there should be a first draft coming you know, within a few months, and then everyone will take a deep breath and read it and, you know, see if we want to proceed. Now you're doing Ghostbusters 3. Yes. Sir. I'm not asking for a part. If you put me in, I'll do it. Of course, I love doing it. No, this. no, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely obligatory. Of course you're going to be, uh, in the, in the film. What uh, happens in Ghostbusters? What is it based on? Well, it's based upon new, re- new research that's being done in particle physics by the, uh, the young people, young men and women at Columbia University. As you know, and you believe all this. Well, I believe in science. Uh, I mean, I, I believe in entertainment, and I think to contemplate the ideas of, of ghosts and, and survival of the consciousness, it's very, very entertaining. And what happens, in, can, what, what can you tell us about that? Well, basically, there's research being done that, um, that uh, well, I can say that the, 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 the world or our dimension that we live in, our, our four planes of existence, length, height, width, and time, become threatened by some of the research that's being done, and Ghostbusters, new Ghostbusters, have to come and, and solve the solve the problem. I understand Bill Murray doesn't want to do it, right? Billy uh, has done the role twice. Uh, he is doing spectacular work as an actor. You saw him in the uh, in the Hyde Park on Hudson, yeah. where he just he could now do Roosevelt in every movie, TV show, or stage. He's like <laughs> he owns that. He's the new Roosevelt. He could be, and uh, so you know, I don't blame him for that. He's a good friend. I love him. Uh, he just doesn't want to reprise the role. However, there will be a hole for him. Billy wants to walk in the door and be in the movie. We will, we will find a place. Do you have the stars lined up? Well, it's going to be, we're going to have to cast. We need, we need four new Ghostbusters. We need four new Columbia students. You're one of them, right? Well, I, I'll be there. That, that, that casting job's easy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, you know, we're going to be doing you in your new format as you, uh, as you comment on what's happening in Manhattan with, you know, up there at Morningside Heights, which it's going to be quite a spectacular scene. So, yeah, to conclude, it is actually really quite a wonderful time to be a Ghostbusters fan. The 4K Blu-ray was just released a few months ago. I got that on your say-so, Neil, and I haven't watched the whole thing through, but I did, uh, I did check a few scenes for... Um, uh, clarity. Clarity and effects. My God, the step-up is amazing. I can see details on Eleanor Twitty, the librarian, which I could never see before. The colours are so vibrant... Slimer is so green I could touch him. And 
I really, really do recommend this 4K version. Um, it is, however, bare bones. That is the one downside to it, it is bare bones. Totally. Oh my God, the transfer. So, ooh, I, I feel vindicated. That is happy now. I'm just going to get Zan to do it, and I'll be fine. Well, if you have uh, a decent special edition of Ghostbusters on DVD already, just keep hold of that, get the 4K version, and then basically you can have all of the extras and also the best possible picture. And if you've already okay, got the on my wish list. if you've already got the uh, the uh, Blu-ray version of it, if you are a Ghostbusters nut, then it will make an excellent addition. Uh, on so my wish list too. <laughs> I have combined it into one triple disc box set uh, with the original Blu-ray, the 4K Blu-ray, and Ghostbusters Two until Ghostbusters Two comes out on Blu-ray. So yeah, uh, with Ghostbusters Three, maybe not on the horizon, but in the shadows, waiting to emerge at some long overdue moment uh, I'm hoping actually that the, the, the closest equivalent in cinematic terms will be the Muppets because yeah. they were away for a very long time and then when they came back it was absolutely on the money they got exactly right and let's hope the follow up is just as good yeah we shall see on that I can't believe I didn't mention that the Ghostbusters somehow control the Statue of Liberty using a Nintendo NES Advantage joystick with some gizmo take to it. How very scientific. Next week, for our Gonzo Halloween special, we'll be continuing our spectral theme by travelling back into shadowy and largely unknown territory. We'll be looking at the 1992 BBC hoax documentary broadcast 21 years ago that scared the living shit out of Brendan's children. It has only ever been screened once, and the BBC received 30,000 phone calls from the bewildered, the angry, and the downright terrified. It's called Ghost Watch, and you can buy it for about £8 in the UK, or follow the links in the show notes to watch it in three parts online. We heartily recommend you make watching this your Halloween evening, and then listen to the Gonzo discussion to follow. What should we finish it on this one? Which one shall I play? It'll it'll either be on your on our own or the uh, Run DMC Ghostbusters song. Got to go with Run DMC. DMC. Yeah, you think? Run DMC. <laughs> okay, so we will finish on, on the Run, Run DMC, DMC. <laughs> on the Run DMC version of Ray Parker Jr.'s. Does anyone ever know what happened with Ray Parker Senior? Ghostbusters. He was a plumber or something, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, his son made one song and then became a trillionaire from it. Uh, so yeah, this is the Run DMC version of the uh, Ghostbusters theme tune from Ghostbusters 2. And we look forward to the time when the ghouls and goblins raise from the grave. Because there's one that question to ask. Who are you going to call? <laughs> if busting does indeed make you feel good. good.
no fool and I got no time to waste. So you get up the call, you trip and fall off the place. Now it's no dream because you see a shadow in the night. But we will come and get it done, so don't worry, save your fright. Now there's a group who likes the truth and you know you can trust us. So don't get nervous because at your service will local Ghostbusters! On the line, only my life to save. All by myself, with no one around. Did not understand a hand coming out the ground. I knew it wasn't mine, it was somebody else. But I didn't care, gee. I just keep a